How's everyone doing? You all right? Thanks so much for coming. Thanks to Toby for ballsing up that intro. Uh, went over it like five times, but hey, can't get the staff anymore. Um, how does it sound to everyone? Sound all right? Okay, I, I'll be speaking in a mainly a slightly nasal, vaguely northern accent. Hope you don't mind. So it's, thanks so much for coming. It's a pretty cool venue, isn't it? We want to thank everyone at Lola's and the Hippodrome, Simon and Ian and Craig and uh, Lois for sponsoring it. We're sponsored by Car26. Yeah. There, there we go. Uh, not COP26, as Toby said on his Twitter today, and he said so many times before, it's not COP26. I don't, I don't think COP26 are our biggest fans. I'm just going to go out on a limb. Um, it's very much a Car26 type vibe over here. So let me just find out before we start, who came to the first Weekly Skeptic Live? All right, nice. Are oh, you very polite? You've done hands up. I was going to go with noise, like, you know, like we're out and having fun. But um, you went with the, yeah, yeah, we did, Nick. But I guess, to be fair, you guys are used to not standing out. Do you know what I mean? It's like, leave, leave me alone in the workplace. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay, so make some noise this time. Who is this their first ever Weekly Skeptic Live? Okay. Okay, and who has just, a bit too much energy there. I like the, f you sound more happy than the first people who are like the, the, the jaded veterans of like cancel culture. Um, so let me ask a third thing then. Who doesn't, has just been dragged here by someone else and doesn't really know what this is? One person there, briefly. Okay, for, the, for that one guy who I feel sorry for, frankly, but uh, let me just briefly explain what it is. And this is bas it's basically a far-right podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't move that, because uh, if, we, if we film it, it looks a bit weird. Um, but in case anyone's not been following the media, far-right now just means we're against people being stabbed. Uh, that's, that's a big thing uh, in Ireland. And it means we've been to a pub once, according to Ian Hislop. So it's a very low bar now for far right. So um, it's, it's amazing that so many people have come out. Basically, we've come a long way on the podcast. I mean, it started out, you probably remember some of you, it was basically just Toby and his boomer mates chatting about net zero. Uh, and then, you know, the creative vision of Nick Dixon took over and it became the comedic tour de force we all know today. And, um, <laughs> But it's come so far, we've had now one million downloads. How about that? That is pretty amazing. One million. Thank you. And I just want to thank each and every one of you who has downloaded the podcast, except the pricks that leave bad reviews, all right? <laughs> who are these people? Who are these people? Like, oh, yeah, I like it, but at 37 minutes, there's a sound issue. No, there isn't. That's on your side. You can't work the internet, and you should be ashamed of admitting it. And then... Uh, all those people, oh, Nick's not prepared. Really? Then how come I know all the stories in order with the music? How is that? It's not, the podcast isn't just me screaming into a pillow, is it? And the, sometimes it is a bit like that, isn't it? But um, 
these people. But mainly, you're all great, and it's been amazing. And I, I just had, I, know, I had no idea I'd be doing this in my life, really. I mean, imagine like, if you'd have gone back, if you could have tra- time traveled back in like a really boring time travel movie and told me, as a, as a young man in Cumbria, that I'd be doing a podcast. Well, firstly, I'd be like, what, what's a podcast? We're, this is Cumbria. We can't even get Channel 5. You know what I mean? <laughs> then I'd be, if you said to me, Nick, you'll be doing a podcast with a bold workaholic who spends most of his time in the shed, I'd have said, why am I doing a podcast with my dad, right? Because it, <laughs> but of course, thank you, one clap. He, he's here tonight. Uh, my father, we haven't seen each other for 16 years. Um, no, obviously I'm talking about Toby. He's not my real dad, but, uh, um, and we should say shout out to Toby. Uh, he, obviously he's made a lot of this happen, a certain percentage of this happen. And, um, and of course, he is a great man. But let's find out quickly, who here is Team Toby? Okay, oh, very polite, hands up, very, very smart, skeptical people. And who is Team Nick? Risky question. Oh, wow. Oh, that's embarrassing. Oh, I, I didn't know it was going to be that bad. That's, uh, oh, that's very uneven. Um, and um, we don't talk about James anymore. Uh, <laughs> we love James. Um, the one guy's at the background, what the fuck is this? Um, that one guy that didn't know what it was. Um, all right, well, let's, I'll, I'll probably introduce Toby in a minute now. I mean, we should introduce him. He is, let's face it, a free speech warrior. And, uh, hang on. He is a uh, tireless advocate for civil liberties. <laughs> and make sure you tell them I'm director and founder of the FSU and secretary something. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, I feel really bad now. That was, that was, didn't even, didn't even get a laugh and it was me. Um, <laughs> All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, I think it is time to put your hands together and welcome the man that around 25% of you came to see. It is, of course, free speech warrior and tireless advocate for civil liberties, Mr. Toby Young. Sorry, Toby. Sorry for the voice. Take hands, still friends. Sorry about all that, Toby. So I, 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 I think the only reason you got a bigger cheer is because you were asking the question and they felt like they had to flatter you. They know how insecure you are. How many of you actually here came for me? <laughs> how many for Nick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but who came for Nick? No, we get, uh, this is just half an hour of that. Can you imagine? <laughs> just battle of the egos. Um, I have no ego, really. I'm egoless. Um, <laughs> Toby, uh, sorry, yeah, it's a bit, bit of a harsh roast, but I just had to write some jokes today, and that's what I came up with. How are you doing? Good, yeah, not bad. We didn't plan anything for this bit, did we? We should have planned some banter. We should have planned some banter, but it's great to see all of you here. Thank you very much for turning up and turning out, and thanks in particular to those of you who are having dinner with us afterwards in the Heliot Steakhouse. Getting just... the upsell in there already. Yeah, that's classic well, Toby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, very, very kind of you to support us, and some of the so we're going to be using some of the proceeds from the ticket sales to support our new podcasting and events oh, platform. Yeah. But um, we say, I don't think we're saying the name. I won't yet, say the name of it. But we're launching it soon. It's very exciting. We're basically going to take over all of media, uh, or not. It could go either way. But um, you know, <laughs> we're just going to crush all media. We shouldn't really say that. We're going to crush uh, Constantine. Shouldn't have said that out loud. Um, it's a it's a secret project. Uh, Definitely not competing with GB News in any way. Let's just get that clear as well, because that's my main employer. Um, so, Toby, anything else you want to say? Or should, we, should we get well, into Well, I, I just want to reiterate what you said, which is a, a, a huge thank you to um, the staff of the Hippodrome um, for making this possible. 
Um, there's Craig doing the sound and the lighting. Um, it was really his fault, by the way, that we fucked up the queue. Uh, really? The beginning. Yeah, sorry, no, it was mine. And then Loretto's helped us organise the meal, Ian for being supportive, and Simon Thomas, the owner of the Hippodrome, who's been unstintingly supportive. So great that they've let us do this tonight. Yeah, yeah. And of course, a big shout out to Lois from Car 26. Car 26. Uh, Car 26. We've got your, your banner over there, Lois. Uh, yes. It's cool. It's a much more comfortable, because we had a church last time, so this is more comfortable for all of you, because it, it is a, a six-hour podcast. Uh, so we, we, should probably, uh, we should probably get going. Um, you can feel free to get up if you need, need the bog or something, uh, whatever posh people call it, Toby. What do you call it? Toilet. Toilet, yeah. Um, <laughs> but we'll probably kick off. We thought we'd kick off with Farage. Good old Nigel Farage. Who's a, who's a Farage fan? Yeah. It's that, it's that type of podcast, I did say. Um, who, is, who doesn't like Farage? One or a couple of people. Yeah, okay. All right, it's very Farage. Well, he came third, as you probably know, in the weird insect show that I don't watch. Uh, it's basically people eating bugs, isn't it? It's, it I'm not, do you watch I'm a Celebrity? No, it's awful. I tried to watch it just to support my colleague, the esteemed Nigel Farage, but actually, it's just, it literally is just people eating bugs. It's so disgusting. The only thing I said on previous podcasts, the only positive is that it might put people off Klaus Schwab's plan to <laughs> eat the bugs and be happy. You know what I mean? It's like, because it's objectively disgusting to eat bugs. But I, I'm like, are they, are they trying to get used to bugs? Are they trying to put us off bugs? I'm very confused. But anyway, Farage came third. He was beaten by Tony Bellew, who's a decent boxer. Got beaten by Usyk, but who didn't? And then we... That's, that's an obscure reference. It, there, won't be, there won't be much boxing content. Um, and then, of course, Sam something won it. Some guy from Made in Chelsea. Yeah. Which I've never watched. Anyone never watched watch Made in either. Chelsea? Yeah. That light is blinding me as well. Can we change that? Um, sorry, there's a lot of admin in this podcast. So anyway, he came third. It was rigged. I think he should have won. But um, what did you make of it overall, Toby? Yeah, I watched the opening episode, um, and, uh, and then I watched the episode in which Nigel ate the bugs. Um, and um, I voted for him. I, you got, I, I, I want to say I voted for him five times, and you think I cheated, but I didn't. Everyone could vote at least five times for any one of the people in the final three. So I voted for him five times, but it evidently wasn't enough in the end. But um, it was odd, wasn't you it? You got your I mean, whole family voting for him. You'd got about I know, got I so many have, kids. I could, have, could have got them all on the case. I'm not sure they, not all of them would have voted oh, for yeah, him. Oh, yeah. Some of them might have done. Um, but uh, <laughs> the media kind of couldn't quite make up their minds about, you know, the mainstream media, about how to discredit... Nigel in case he did well so at the beginning it was kind of oh it's a flop this year you know they're, pe they're, they're paying Nigel way over the odds and I hope that it'll bring in the viewers it's getting a million less viewers than it did last year what a complete failure isn't it funny no one wants to watch this has-been far-right politician uh, and then but then when it looked as though he might win it then it was like oh he's cheating he's getting all he's using the internet to kind of drum up support uh, there was there was a stupid mirror story which you're going to talk about in a second uh, you know it, it was like well if it doesn't matter if it's a pointless show and no one's watching it why do you care who wins but at the moment it looked as though he might win then suddenly it was uh, was a sort of discrediting the the kind of black arts he'd used to win and actually I think coming third is pretty respectable yeah he was always going to come across too well for the establishment wasn't he for the sort of they got worried he, would look, he came across too well. He even looked quite good, not in a gay way, not that there's anything wrong with that. But <laughs> I thought he looked amazing on the clips. He was in shape, he had like a t-shirt. He looked like, like a Tom Cruise or something in Mission Impossible. It was unbelievable. He does look good. I mean, I work with him and he does look good, but I was, I, I was stunned. And then he had a moment with his daughter where they're like getting on when they're crying. He, he was a family man. He was affable. He was intelligent. He was calm. They did a quiz. Because I, I watched clips. I couldn't watch the whole thing. But they did a quiz where he, he's smashing it, getting all the answers, knowledgeable. What's not to like? So it's kind of, don't you think it's setting him up like Boris with Have I Got News For You? It's setting him up in a few years to take over. 
And Maybe. When, I mean, there's all been this speculation that um, now that he's done well and have I got news for you, that's sort of teed him up to kind of march in and take over the leadership of the Conservative Party when Rishi Sunak eventually expires. Um, uh, you said have I got news for you. That was Boris. Sorry, yeah, sorry I got that wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, I'm really skeptic. I, I interviewed Nigel Farage on this stage for the Free Speech Union um, and asked him the question point blank, do you want to join the Conservative Party and become the leader. And he was pretty clear that he didn't want to do that. I mean, he sort of flirts with it sometimes. I think he likes keeping the speculation alive. But, you know, he's the president of the Reform Party. I think he's the single shareholder in the Reform Party. Um, I think what he's much more likely to do is parlay that success into perhaps taking over the leadership of Reform or making it some kind of double act with Richard Tice and doing what they can to cause as much inflict as much damage on the Conservative Party vote in the next general election. Well, he could do that, but I don't think he'd rule it out. He said to me, I don't think it was in confidence, he did say to me, never rule anything out. And I said to him, Nigel, think about it, Keir gets in, right? Uh, Tories get spanked, Keir Starmer gets in, destroys the country for five years, Farage 2029, leader of the Tories. And he said, well, he don't think he said he'd be too old. And I said, he'll be a youthful 65, Nigel. He's so youthful. Look how good he looked in the jungle, not in a gay way. And uh, <laughs> you just... <laughs> You think he's got loads of time left in and he'll still be way younger than Trump and Biden and everyone in America. So I think he's going to do it. I think it's inevitable. I think Farage tried to change the system. Now the system will change for Farage. That's what I think is going to happen. Somehow life will find a way, like Jeff Goldblum said in Jurassic Park. Life <laughs> finds a way. I don't know how. Will he be leader of the Tories? I think, will well, it be I, reform? Will it be a three-proportional representation? It'll just happen. Well, maybe. I mean, I think um, to, to become leader of the Conservative Party before the next general election, he'd have to find a seat. Um, a safe seat, a safe conservative seat, and that might be quite difficult. I mean, it's a bit of a scramble for safe conservative seats, as you can imagine. There aren't nearly as many as there were in 2019, um, and uh, those there are are being heavily uh, fought over. Um, so I imagine he, he might have difficulty finding an association willing to just hand him a safe seat so he can then be parachuted into Parliament and stand in a leadership election before the next general election. And that's not a foregone conclusion either. We'll talk about that in a bit, I'm sure. Well, that's Toby with the boring facts, but I still think, <laughs> I still have the vision, and that's all that matters. Who would, who would vote for Farage if he was uh, in one of these parties? Yeah. I'm always worried asking those kind of questions, because I think like, the venue staff might cancel us or something, but uh, he would definitely win here. Um, well, people have been, anyway, people have been freaking out in response to him on this uh, show. I mean, Matt Chorley, of course, uh, you know, Times Radio, which is a Murdoch thing, so they're always attacking GB News. He was downplaying it, saying Farage will win, but it doesn't mean anything. Like, already getting his cope in right. early. He didn't win in the end, but they got that in early. And like, as you say, there's this ridiculous Daily Mirror article, Farage fakery row. Did you see this? It was so absurd. They, they said um, that these photos that Farage's social media team has been using are not real. It's like, yes, we all know that. There were pictures of, like, his name, like, flying above Big Ben or on the side of a bus. Like, guys, it's called Photoshop, all right? It's called the internet. We all know when we see, like, a meme or something, and the, the mirror's like... Turns out Farage has been using fake images. Embarrassingly, people have found the original photos showing them without the added Farage posters. Ooh, what a scoop of the year for the Daily Mirror. This is on the front page of the Daily Mirror. What an absolute joke. It's them pretending not to know that we all know they're fake photos. This is fake news. It's fake news, okay? Fake news, <laughs> It's, uh, it, it, it's the, fake, this, fake news. Thank this you. pretense that uh, what is clearly intended not to be taken at face value is somehow disinformation and so typical of the far right who can't win votes honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was shocking. And um, what else happened? Oh, do you see that woman freaking out in the car? Did anyone see that on, the, on, on Twitter, formerly, ex-formerly known as Twitter? 
Okay, there was a woman who like, f was freaking out in the car because Farage was getting in. Never mind, no one saw that. We'll edit that out. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably enough on Farage. I don't know how, we, how much time we have for each story because, as you know, I'm ill-prepared. Uh, <laughs> there's so much to organise with this venue. I'm like, oh, no, we've got to do an actual show now. Um, oh, there was also the... Uh, well, there was, there was Richard Tice saying he, he wouldn't rejoin, but I don't know. I, Tice has to say that. And then there was a poll, Boris Johnson's shock as XPM beaten by a surprising candidate in next Tory leader poll. And it was in the Express, but it was basically that Farage got 41%, uh, Bravman 22%, and Johnson 14%. But why would, be, why would it be Boris? It doesn't make any sense. So it's not that shocking, is it? No, there, there was a story in the um, Mail and the Express this weekend saying that a dream ticket was being pulled together by... Boris's remaining supporters in the Parliamentary Conservative Party, and it was going to be Boris as leader and Nigel as deputy leader, and somehow they were going to sweep all before them and actually win an even bigger majority than Boris did in 2019. But that seems pretty unlikely, given that neither of them are currently MPs. Um, but uh, uh, but I, I think I can. I mean, I think I think there is. I don't think it's out of the question that Rishi Sunak won't be the leader of the Conservative Party going into the next general election. I mean. He's, he's struggling to survive next week, let alone the next year. Um, uh, and I think he probably will get the votes for the second reading of the Rwanda bill. Um, I don't think the uh, conspirators are going to kind of pull the trigger then, not least because they don't want a leadership election before Christmas because it would ruin everybody's Christmas. Um, so I think they're going to wait. Um, I think this is the plan. They're going to wait until January when the Rwanda bill has its third reading and that's when they'll strike if they're going to strike and if they can muster the votes. And I think faced with a defeat in the House of Commons, Rishi will have to think very carefully. He said that if that happens, he'll call a general election. But I don't, think, I don't think he'll do that. I think if the conspirators call his bluff and he's defeated in the third reading, he'll just fall on his sword and that will trigger a leadership election. And the kind of consensus amongst the kind of commentariat is, well, that will just be um, an act of suicide for the Conservative Party. They can't possibly have yet another uh, leadership election between now and the general election. We'll have to create a new bench at the Cenotaph for all the leaders of the Conservative Party between 2019 and 2024. Um, but... But actually, if you think about it from a kind of, you know, doomed Tory MP's point of view, I mean, if you're facing almost certain death, if Rishi remains in the saddle, then why not roll the dice again? And um, I, I actually, I, I'll confess, I put 50 quid uh, yesterday at 22 to 1 on Kemi Badenoch to be the next Prime Minister. Um, uh, not because I think she's going to win the next, not because I think, you know, Rishi's going to win the next general election, she's going to take over from him, or she's going to, I think that the likelihood is, if well, not likely, but I think it's better, better odds than 22 to 1 against, that she could succeed Rishi in the leadership election that follows his defeat in the third reading of the Rwanda bill. I don't think it's out of the question. If you are interested in, in gambling on politics, I think 22 to 1 on Kemi to be next PM is a pretty good bet. Okay, we've done the classic Toby thing of getting into the next topic before I officially introduced it. Uh, so we're going to have to take all that again. Uh, none of that counted. No, no, no. It's fine. Well, we'll talk about soon, I think, because it's kind of rolled into it. Whether he has a chance, you've already raised it. And, um, but, and you've raised Kemi as well. And we find, by the way, we have a lot of famous fans. We've got uh, Kemi Baynox advisors listen to the show I found out after I criticised them. And, um, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. That's, we that's love true. them, really. Um, we'll, we'll edit this bit out, but we've yeah. got a call saying, can you edit that bit out? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. From an advisor. So, and yeah. we have another famous fan, shout out to Lord Frost, and he wrote an article on this, whether Sunak should go ahead. And he, his basic point was that the Tories have a, an obligation to try and win the election. Quite a radical idea. Um, 
He said MPs also have a responsibility to consider more broadly whether they think the current path can take us to an election win. If they don't, they shouldn't be resigning themselves to it. They should be doing something about it. And people took that to mean basically offering Sunak, not killing him, but, you know, taking him out of the... Not taking him out, but, you know, <laughs> what's it called? I don't know what the terminology Regicide. is. Regicide. Unseating him <laughs> from his life. No, from the uh, leadership. Yeah. So, and he just made... He, he said, look, the, he said the centre-left... With whom we must group the Prime Minister after last month's reshuffle seems to be happy with losing decently to the approving applause of the establishment. I think there's something in that. They probably like Labour. You know, the Lib Dem side of the Tories are probably happier with Starmer. Do you agree? Uh, they might be happier with Starmer than they would be with Soila Braverman, I imagine. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure that. No, I don't think Rishi has resigned himself to defeat and it's just about damage limitation at this point. I think he thinks that he can still somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat. You know, he thinks uh, he can get inflation under control. The economy will be improving if we can just wait long enough. Um, next year's immigration figures will be a slight improvement on this year's immigration figures. Uh, Keir Starmer will, you know, self-combust uh, in some kind of horribly embarrassing, scandalous way. Maybe he's got something up his sleeve, who knows. Um, so I think, I think, no, I don't think he's given up. I mean, I, I, I like David Frost and... Um, again, another potential leadership contender, though needs to get a seat first. Um, uh, but um, I think he's wrong about uh, the centre-left having resigned themselves to just a kind of respectable loss. I think they, they still think, like most politicians, they're delusional. They all think they can win. OK. Um, I mean, he, he made some fairly basic points. They need to stop focusing on A-levels and smoking bans and start thinking about immigration and, you know, spending and things that people actually care about. It's amazing this has to be said, isn't it? I mean, that was shocking when the scene I was like, oh, we're going we're to get rid of smoking and change A-levels. You're like, you want me? And then meanwhile, the country's just falling apart and in, being invaded. There's people at the border with swords and uh, on the beach. And he's like, guys, wait till you see my A-level plan. And you're like, mate, the fuck is this guy? Um, well, it's mental, isn't it? So, um, so Frost made a good point about all that. What did he say? He said tax, spending, culture wars, net zero, migration, public service reform. Yeah, not smoking. So I think that is pretty, pretty bang on. Uh, Lord Frost, always correct. But um, and what did you think about our other big topic? Was it Jenrick, of course, resigned. It was so funny. We could have, like, we had an MP resign. We had Swella Bradman <laughs> doing edgy speech. And we had Boris Johnson humiliate himself in public. I'm like, we could have done this show at any point in the last two years, put it in a sealed envelope, and the topics would be exactly the same. <laughs> um, so Jenrick went. And what's fascinating about this to me he, he, he said, here's a Daily Telegraph, Jemic, too many migrants to integrate. And what's so shocking to me is, as I understand it, he was Sunak's guy. They were bros. I'm putting it in a parlance everyone can understand. They were total bros. And then, and he was one of Sunak's guys. But then he saw the reality of immigration and he became red-pilled by the sheer catastrophe of it. And so now he's become so hardcore on immigration that he's actually resigned. And he's just saying integration is impossible if you let in 1.2 million new people. GP services and hospitals don't grow on trees. He's saying the UK is beyond breaking point. He's talking about the indefensible and farcical situation of hotels full of asylum seekers. But mainly he's talking about legal immigration. And he just says we need official caps on visas, immediate overhaul to the two-year graduate uh, visa route and all the visa scam. What did you make of uh, Jeremy's yeah. resignation? Uh, well, I think, I mean, you're right. It was quite surprising because he is one of Rishi's closest political allies. He and Rishi and Oliver Dowden wrote a joint op-ed uh, praising Boris uh, prior to the last leadership election, but 23. Um, and um, uh, so, yeah, they were close. Um, why, why have they fallen out? Apparently it was partly because um, when Suella Braverman went, 
um, and cleverly was moved over. He was hoping to get Foreign Secretary, but instead Rishi parachuted in David Cameron or Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton. Um, uh. and, uh, and so I think he was, he was quite bitter about that. And I imagine he was enlisted in the plot by the conspiracists hoping to uh, 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 depose Rishi. Um, and um, he was probably promised you know, um, uh, foreign secretary, uh, if the plot worked. Uh, I think you get the impression that, that, that you know, with, with these kind of um, coups, they have to kind of have a bit of momentum. And I think the hope was that he would trigger a kind of wave of resignations. That's what's done for previous PMs, not least Boris, a wave of resignations. Uh, but so far, there haven't been any follow-up resignations, but maybe they'll begin to happen um, when the Rwanda bill kind of is finalised and is put before Parliament. Uh, but you get the impression that the coup is, uh, is slightly stalling. So he's now probably feeling a bit, bit, bit annoyed. He's done the typical Toby thing. I've got this sort of idealistic thing. He, like he, he, he left because of the, his strong views on immigration. He took a principled stance. And you're like, he got, he got done over for a job position. And it, it's, such a, it's always a cynical Toby world, but well, it is right. It's the more realistic world. I think in politics, it's always a sort of combination of the two. Okay. Um, is my mic loud enough? Can we, is it okay? Because I'm going to strain to talk. Can we maybe go a tiny bit louder, Craig, so I'm not straining? But then if you find it too loud, let me know as well. I'm straining my voice. Toby's got a trained voice from the RAC. What's the RAC? don't know. Uh, you mean the RSC? Yeah, that thing. Um, <laughs> he was in the RAF, but um, they found out he was a, a straight white man, kicked him out. Um, <laughs> so, um, all right. We've, I think, let me know if that's too loud. I think it sounds better. All right, for me. So... Um, what did you think to Suella's speech? Because uh, she got up and made that speech, and everyone was like, oh, it's going to be a big deal. It wasn't really that big a deal in the end. It was actually less harsh, in my opinion, than her resignation letter. She did feel like a leader, kind of. That was the thing, one thing about it. She seemed like a leader when she got up. But she didn't really yeah. say anything that harsh. She just said, we need to fix immigration. And Rishi, she didn't even say that much about Rishi, really. Yeah, well, um, I do think that um, she's resigned now to not becoming the next leader of the party. <laughs> And not being the kind of right-wing candidate, I think she's. I think it's. I think it's been brought home to her, seeing the reaction to her resignation, um, that she doesn't have enough support within the parliamentary party to do much better than she did in the last leadership election. Um, so I think she. Yeah, she. She. she I think she's now going to throw in her lot, probably with Kemi, as um, as the kind of uh, unite the right, right-wing candidate. Uh, and that may be why, why she sounded slightly deflated in that speech. Interesting. All right. See, Toby's got all the inside information. This is why you came, guys. I mean, is this what you expected? It's just us talking, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> I, I suddenly feel like some weird pressure to do some, like, pyrotechnics. But uh, this is basically... I don't... I can, I can sing if you want. Um, why have I said that? Um, <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'll have to, fantastic I'll, singer, by the way. I've no, heard him sing. I'm average. Sometimes. average. Um, <laughs> I'm better on guitar. All right. Well, I think we pretty much covered that one. Should we move on to this BBC presenter? So did anyone follow the BBC presenter who gave people the... I don't want to give it to you guys, but she gave people... I could blur it out, but like they did on some things. But she gave people the finger. Did you see this? So it's incredible. I would never do this at GB News because I just don't have the confidence in the tech equipment. And... <laughs> and no offence, but the team around me... I mean, the BBC... <laughs> let's edit that bit as well. The BBC... I've got to keep my job. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, don't tell anyone I said that. Um, the team are great. 
but we don't quite have the budget of the BBC. So it, what my first thought was the confidence to do that, knowing it's not going to go out. If I did that on headliners at 11pm on GB News every night, uh, that would 100% be shown, definitely, because we, you know, you can, I would never risk saying anything on the mic between the breaks, all this kind of thing. It's just, you just think this, this would go out. But she was confident enough to do it, but it didn't pan out for her. She was shown giving the finger. And she then, uh, let's just get her name so I don't get it wrong. It's um, Maryam Moshiri. It's probably how you pronounce it. And doesn't, no one cares. And um, I just realized as I did that, no one cared at all. Um, but she gave the finger, and then the conservatives did this tweet. And uh, they said that they, they put out a tweet with the woman giving the finger. And she said, Labour, when you ask for their plans to tackle illegal immigration, and the idea is they're giving you the finger, and this is like a clever tweet from the social media team. And then loads of Tory MPs were saying, take this down immediately. But it's still up, last I checked. Last I checked, it had 17 million views with 9.6 thousand likes, 8.7 thousand replies, so not quite a ratio. This is just for the people who say I don't prepare. I'm literally listing the numbers on a tweet that no one cares about. Um, so anyway, I don't necessarily mind that. It was, it was a young, it was probably like a social media person just having a bit of fun. Do yeah. you care about that or about the incident itself? No, I, I mean, I thought I couldn't believe that um, so many senior Tories made a fuss about the official Conservative Party Twitter account using that and sort of turning it into a bit of a meme. I thought it was quite funny and um, didn't think it was particularly insulting or beyond the pale or low politics or Trumpian or whatever it was they said, Trumpist. Um, but I've got, a, I've got an anecdote, a BBC outtake anecdote. So oh, the, last time, time. the last time I was on Question Time about, um, well, quite a long time ago, David Dimbleby. <laughs> David, Dimbleby was, uh, David Dimbleby was still, still in charge and um, ages ago. And uh, for some reason, they, they haven't had me back since. But um, yeah, Attlee was prime minister. <laughs> yeah. Um, at that stage, Nick was just a twinkle in my wife's eye. Um, <laughs> uh, um, and uh, was on the panel. And um, Anne Whittacombe was on the panel. And she'd never done the show before. And during the warm-up, David Dimbleby said to the audience, about the size of this audience, he said, uh, so tonight we've got a virgin on the panel. We've got Anne Whittacombe meaning she'd never done it before. Everyone else had done it before. And, uh, and at which point she flushed red. Um, and, uh, and then he flushed red. And then he, and the audience sharp intake of breath. And then he began to apologize. Oh, no, I didn't mean that, which made it 10 times worse. And it was just horribly embarrassing. It was just a terrible way. It was supposed to warm up the audience. Instead, it just made everyone's blood run cold. It was just a horribly embarrassing moment. I thought but you were luckily, gonna... it was off camera because you do this before the camera start rolling. What did you say? I thought it was going to end in one of your anecdotes where you say something awful and put your foot in your mouth. Did you not reply? No, I Like, no, a good I, thing I, I'm not the virgin or something. You didn't say it. <laughs> no, I couldn't think of anything to say. Okay. I was just incredibly embarrassed. Like How many times else. have you been on Question Time? I think three times. And it hasn't been for like ages. Why is that? Not for, not for ages. Even Hitchens um, is on there now. Mumbiot's yeah. back on. They're scraping the barrel. I know, yeah. Any old nutter on the there barrel. now. I, I Obviously Hitchens yeah, is brilliant, yeah, but Mumbiot, yeah. he's basically it, clinically it, insane. In some ways. Uh, <laughs> well, edit. Is that, is that libel? Can we edit that? It's, it's, you think, it's, he doesn't believe in food. I mean, George Mumbiot doesn't believe in farms. They're like, what are we all going to do, George? We're just going to die. And he thinks like Totnes is the hotbed of the alt-right. It's like, what are you on about? Doesn't he? <laughs> He's crazy. Anyway, yeah. we love George, and we'll edit that out. Go on. The whole show will be edited. It'll just be like, just some be very laughter. short, very short yeah, one yeah. this week. Yeah. Go on. I, 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 in some ways, it's a relief because um, I'm pretending now to 
you know, like the fact that I haven't been asked back on question time for at least 15 years. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's a relief in some respects because it's a bit like doing um, an A-level. You know, you have to question, they don't tell you the questions beforehand. So you have to kind of, you have to predict what's likely to come up and kind of revise that subject so you're not completely lost for words when it comes up. Um, and, um, uh, and so it's an enormous amount of work. You kind of, it's much more work than preparing for this show. Uh, even the amount of work that Nick does is, 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 is a drop in the bucket. The amount, I mean, imagine how much know. work Nick would do if he was actually summoned to be on, on Question Time. Oh, Although yeah. it, it, back then it was kind of like the big flagship current affairs program. Right. Now it has a kind of afterlife on Twitter, but it's not the big deal it once yeah, was. Yeah, it's got a weird social distance vibe. You've got a crap host. Yeah, not it's, as many people in the right, audience. I mean, no offense, but it's not very good. Compared and they pay to you. Zimbabwe. They pay you the, a grand sum of 150 pounds. Or 150 back then quid. Yeah, 150 that quid. That's like yeah. GB News money. That's outrageous. Like, yeah, I prefer doing GB News, quite frankly. That is appalling. The BBC, BBC still owe me 100 quid. Since you're talking about this, from a, I did a Sunday morning show like years ago. Never paid me, and I got my own public transport there and back. Anyway, sorry. I know in the cost of living, that's quite a sort of a minor concern. But the BBC still owe me 100 quid. Luckily, I've never paid the fee, so... Um. It balances out over the six years I was in my last flat, and they were sending me those letters. It I, kind I, of balances I did, out. I did have a conversation with Isabel Oakeshott a couple of, a couple of weeks ago in which we compared notes about how often we've been invited onto the BBC on one thing or another prior to becoming lockdown skeptics. Um, and each of us were invited to do a BBC show right up until March 2020, at least two or three times a week of one kind or another. Once we'd come out as lockdown skeptics, not a single invitation. Wow. And, and, and in my case, haven't recovered. In her case, a bit better. Yeah, and Hitchens has recovered, so I wonder, I wonder why. Could be something else, Toby. It probably is, yeah. You sure it's not? <laughs> Could just be your attitude. Um, <laughs> all right, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. That's good. That's probably the best bit. Um, <laughs> chatting about Toby on, on question time. Um, should we do the Boris inquiry? Can we, anyone, anyone want to hear about the Boris inquiry? Yeah. All right, we'll do the Boris inquiry. So Boris Johnson, you've probably seen it. You've heard of him. He was in a, this uh, kangaroo court of the COVID inquiry, and he admitted that he vastly underestimated the COVID threat which is sort of grimly funny. I mean, Boris just probably vastly underestimates everything, doesn't he? He, just, he does just wing it. He admitted the response to the pandemic was incoherent at times, lol. Um, he described, uh, he defended describing long COVID as bollocks, uh, which it probably is, isn't it? I mean, it probably, sorry if there's any long COVID sufferers here, but, um, but uh, it, it doesn't exist. Um, um, <laughs> The amount of things I've said in this show already, they're just cancelable we'll, we'll, we'll on their that, we'll own. We'll cut that. Yeah, it'll all be cut. Um, so, um, what else did he say? He said a national shutdown was the only tool available after Whitehall systemically or systematically underestimated COVID transmission rates, which is something similar to uh, what Dominic Cummings said. I mean, Cummings is seen as a lockdown fanatic now, but he actually did say that he would have averted it if systems were in place, if anything actually worked. He says they could have averted it. And Johnson is saying a similar thing there, that once there was a... Well, no, he's not saying quite the same thing. He's saying that it's because of the transmission rates. I think Cummings is saying it's because of general incompetence. But anyway... And he said the government did not take worst case scenarios seriously enough because it was operating under fallacious inductive logic. Nice phrase. Classic Boris. Just throw out a big phrase there. Based on the outcome of uh, SARS and MERS. So he's basically saying we thought it'd be like past viruses is the normal way of saying that. And then this guy, Hugo Keith QC, that's his name, isn't it? Casey. Casey. Casey and the idiot band. Asked about, yeah, Hugo Keith <laughs> Casey. And he made this outrageous uh, remark about 
excess deaths and that Europe, he implied, had the second highest excess deaths. Yeah. And then he kind of caveated it into saying, oh, Western Europe. But it wasn't true anyway because there was a whole list of countries with worse excess deaths. Slovenia, Slovakia, Lithuania, Austria, Poland, Spain. This is just from memory. And I did this on GB News and I said Slovakia twice, Slovakia twice. Like almost <laughs> every country you've heard of. Actually, we were, we were, has someone got a ringtone there? Not really. <laughs> okay. That's what happens when we list uh, European countries. Uh, you can take that if you want in, a, in another room, though, preferably. Um, so basically, Toby, they said we had the second yeah. worst excess deaths. We didn't. We smashed loads of countries in that. And he was lying. Yes, or wrong. Yes. Not lying. Uh, Boris, yeah, Boris, Boris started out by calling him out on a chart he'd presented earlier in the Hallett Inquiry. This is Hugo Keith, uh, Casey, uh, in which the chart showed that the UK had the second highest excess death rate, I think, in Europe. But the chart dated to December 2020, I think. Um, uh, so maybe then we did. But if you look at charts of excess deaths in Europe, um, uh, which are contemporary, I think uh, the UK is something like 18th or 19th. Then, of course, the elephant in the room, which Hugo Keith hasn't yet brought up, is that the country in Europe with the lowest excess death rate, when you look at the last three years, is of course Sweden, uh, which is the pretty much the only country on the t in the table that didn't actually lock down. Um, it seems pretty obvious that um, Hugo Keith and Baroness Hallett um, and most of the witnesses have already concluded um, exactly what they're going to say um, uh, when they write the report, which is that we should have locked down harder and sooner, and it's just a question of who we blame uh, for, 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 for delaying, and it's probably going to be Boris, um, but uh, which is obviously very disappointing, but not so disappointing, because I think I've said before on the podcast, um, something like three different public inquiries into pandemics and epidemics fed into our pandemic preparedness strategy. And in that document, uh, there was a strong recommendation against quarantining the healthy as well as the sick in the event of another pandemic, another flu-like pandemic hitting. Um, and uh, they junked that after a couple of weeks because it was politically expedient to dispense of it and be seen to be doing something. Um, so it doesn't really matter. Even if, the, even if um, you know, um, Carl Hennigan was chairing this inquiry and the witnesses was just an unending succession of Claire Craig, who's here tonight, Jonathan Engler, who's here tonight. Uh, Shinetra Gupta, uh, Tom Jefferson, uh, John Ioannidis. I mean, it could be all the kind of best uh, medical scientists on the planet, and they would conclude, if it happens again, don't lock down under any circumstances. That's a catastrophic error. Cause more harm than good. Blah, blah, blah. It wouldn't matter, because if it happens again, whoever's in power, whichever government's in power, they're just going to do whatever's politically expedient and completely ignore the recommendations of whatever public inquiry is published unless it's in their political interest to pretend to be following the recommendations of a public inquiry. So it really doesn't matter that much. It's a kind of $5 billion three-ring circus. Yeah, and why, why was Sweden able to do their inquiry so much quicker than us and just get it done? Are they just better? Well, because they got everything right, so there wasn't that much to investigate. <laughs> <laughs> Smashed it, lads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they walked in, said, smashed it, had a yeah. pint or whatever they drink in Sweden, and that was it. What do they drink in Sweden? Uh, litres. Yeah. They had a couple of litres. Iced vodka. Yeah. Someone told me that if you win a Nobel Prize, like, they, they bring out this, like, at the after party, they bring out this special um, alcohol, which is fizzy ice-cold vodka. 
And apparently it, it, it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, so all these Nobel Prize winners get completely shit faced. Um, <laughs> uh, I suppose they've got a check for a million pounds in their pocket. It's not bad. I don't even trust the Nobel Prize anymore. Has that, has that gone woke? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally the EU woke. won the Nobel Peace Prize. Course, I don't trust so. the EU either. I don't trust any of them. All I trust is the country of Sweden. That's it, really, now. Sweden, I can't believe it. Gutted. Anyway, I mean, I'm just gutted that they are the only ones that got it right. Is what I mean. It's great that they did. But um, is anyone ever going to admit it, Toby? You just think no one's ever going to admit it, that Sweden got it right and we got it wrong? Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't feel as though, you know, the Hallett inquiry is going to look at what Sweden did and compare it to what we did. Um, uh, another anecdote. Um, uh, someone... Is it um, quite short? Quite short. So, um, <laughs> a daily sceptic reader... Um, uh, went to Sweden uh, on, on a sort of summer holiday and was so impressed by Anders Teniel, um, the Swedish equivalent of um, Patrick Vallance, who'd essentially been the architect of Sweden's pandemic response and the reason they primarily got it right, um, thought, I've got to give this guy a gift. So went to his house to drop off the gift. Uh, I think it was a bottle of fizzy vodka or something like that. You know, his, his version of the Nobel Prize for getting it right. And, um, and Anders was there and invited him in and they had a lovely, invited him to lunch and they had a fantastic two hour lunch in which this guy was just able to kind of tell him, you know, uh, how great he was and how fantastic it was that at least one country got it right and it showed the rest of the, the world up. And um, he then wrote an account of that for the Daily Skeptic. It was a lovely story. Okay, and I just want to quickly say as well, you should all read uh, Dr. Claire Craig's book, uh, Expired COVID, The Untold Story. That's right, isn't it? Has anyone yeah. read it? It's really good. So make sure you read that. Shout out to Claire, she's brilliant. That, by the way, Claire, that's what we call an ad. We're going to give it to you for 100 quid. <laughs> yeah, we retroactively charge for those. Uh, that's, that's probably more than that. But anyway, um, all right. Shall we move on and have a very sharp left turn and do uh, Joey Barton? Has anyone been following Joey Barton's? Yeah, okay. Oh, he's here tonight. Um, um, good, thing, good thing it's not his brother. Um, that's a great joke, if you know the story. But, you, but oh, you're saying stay away. Okay, um, basically, so Joey Barton has been telling the truth about women's football, but, or women's football pundits, but the problem, it's kind of like that meme. Uh, if you've ever seen the meme, the worst person you know just made a good point. Uh, anyone seen that? It's kind of like that. So Joey Barton has been kind of going on these rants about how basically women commentators are not as good, but they're kind of grammar apocalypses, these things. On, <laughs> on and he keeps putting hashtag Kaizen, which is a Japanese business strategy for continuous improvement. I'm like, why is Joey Barton putting Kaizen? He's basically saying, women commentators are shit, hashtag Kaizen. I'm like, I'm confused. That is strange. So does anyone know what I'm talking about with Joey Barton? Because like, I'm getting a lot of blank. Okay, there's a blankness going on. Okay, Toby, do you want to explain the yeah, background? So Joey Barton, um, who I, I know a little bit, um, not personally, um, but I've been following his career because he was at one stage a QPR player and I'm in case you didn't know, a big QPR fan. Um, and, you should uh, talk about that more. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not, we're losing enough listeners. Um, but um, uh, he, he, was, he, 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 he likes being in the headlines. He's kind of an attention whore. And um, he's just been fired by Bristol Rovers. He's a, a slightly loose end. I think the reason he puts Kaizen or whatever it is in his... Kaizen. Um, Kaizen in his hashtags is because he wants people to think that he's kind of got a business philosophy that he will bring to managing a football club. Didn't seem to work out terribly well with Fleetwood Town or Bristol Rovers, but nonetheless, he clearly hasn't quite given up on that career. But um, he said, I think it was, I saw him talk about this on the on, on Piers Morgan's show on Talk TV. Yeah, I was watching that night, so it doubled his viewers. Um, but uh, uh, he, uh, he, he, he started out by saying, um, of course, you don't need to have been 
a successful male professional footballer in order to be a good commentator. And he rattled off the names of good male pundits who'd never played the game or if they had, had not done very well in the game. Uh, and then he said, but the problem with female football pundits is they've never played the game which was a slightly odd kind of um, uh, contradiction um, in sort of the space of about a minute. Um, and he's got into high dudgeon uh, in a way that Nick manages to avoid. Um, uh, but, but when Nick kind of rails against female commentators for more or less the same reasons as, as Jerry Barton, at least in the second part of his uh, interview on, on Piers Morgan's show, um, you, you get away with it. I think Nick gets away with saying slightly outrageous, provocative things because there's always a joke there. There's always a bit of irony. It's always laced with humour. Yeah. So I might if, not if he, mean it. He might not mean it. Yeah, whereas Joey Barton doesn't have that skill. Um, so everyone thought he meant it and he must therefore be an, a, a, a sexist troglodyte. So he's got into a bit of trouble for that. Okay. And he also, the only problem is, I'm a bit worried talking about it. One, because none of you care, clearly. But two, <laughs> because, um, we'll delete this bit, but two, because uh, he calls men who, who, who call him out eunuchs and I don't want to get him tweeting at me saying, you're a eunuch, uh, <laughs> this is not a pleasant experience. But I do kind of agree with him. He's all over the place. His arguments aren't that coherent. But the actual idea that female co-commentators aren't as good, can we admit that? Is that controversial? Does anyone here think women commentators are as good as men on the men's game? Yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. Toby, why did you want I, to do this topic? I'm I, in so much trouble. I, I, I yeah, agree. I, I, I agree. I just want to say I love women's football. And I love... <laughs> no, I've been meaning to say this. It's, they're so good. <laughs> And the goalkeepers are amazing. And, um, and there's yeah. so much skill. And go Lionesses is all I want to say. Uh, Toby, I, I hope you don't disagree with me because I love I the Lionesses. Uh, my wife is now listening to this show, so no, I agree with every word. <laughs> and if you don't, it's literally a hate crime in Sadiq Khan's London. It, it's, 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 you remember it, the May it, campaign? May, yeah. May, yeah. May. You don't like women's football? Well, the commentators aren't that yeah. good, are they, mate? May. Yeah. Do you remember that video? It's so yeah. ridiculous. What I've said is literally a hate crime. It's, it, Basically, the comment, the co look, the co-commentators are as good. The pundits, the, the presenters are good. Uh, Kate, who's uh, Kenny Dalglish's daughter, she's very funny. She's really good. But the, I sound just like Joey Barton. No, I was exactly <laughs> like Joey Barton. No, fair enough, right? The, she, oh, he's a scouser, isn't he? Nah, she's all right, but the, the, it's the commentators are shy. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> that was terrible. But I just bit my own tongue. Uh, no, but I think, I think not metaphorically. I, I literally do. You're right that it's um, to, to to say anything disparaging about women's football or, by extension female pu football pundits is now hate speech. Yeah. I mean, I, I tell my kids, you know, um, if you have any reservations about women's football, if it comes up in the class, if any of your female classmates ask you if you saw the game last night, just nod along, be enthusiastic, tell them how much you appreciate the game because anything other than that, you'll immediately be referred to prevent as at risk of far-right <laughs> radicalization. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even, I mean, to be honest, it's getting a weird vibe even here, this far-right misogynist <laughs> convention. Uh, <laughs> that we've organized in a basement. I thought, I thought these were my people. Here yeah. we found the line, you know yeah. what I mean? We love Farage, we love all Nick's yeah. banter. Women, women commentators, Nick, steady on. You know what I mean? I mean? Come on. It's amazing. All right, fine. I'm, it's me and Joey Barton in, in, in trouble. All right, maybe we should move on then and do Dinks. This is another story no one's gonna care about. Who followed the Dinks viral videos? Yep. Oh yeah, one guy. Feel free to shout instead because I can't see you all. One guy is gonna love this bit. Um, <laughs> You better explain what it is. I'll try and explain for the, uh, the layman um, or lay, lay woman. Um, um, that was funny. Thank you. They'll get that later at home. That was brilliant. Um, basically, dinks are a thing now. So there's this viral video. There were several of them, actually, from uh, 
men and women, couples, saying that they're dual income, no kids. And they're basically bragging about it. And they're saying, we're so amazing because they can do things like, well, one of them said, go to Trader Joe's, which is just kind of like an American Waitrose or sort of Whole Foods. I've been to it. It's just a grocery. I don't know why it's such a big deal. They can go to Trader Joe's and work out classes on the weekends, right? They can go skiing and golfing. They can go to Florida on a whim. Can't you do a lot of these things yourself, Toby, with a family? They can go to Europe. They can sleep eight hours, sometimes more. Okay, they can order starter and dessert. Then, then they said a really weird one. They said, we can play with other kids and give them back. Firstly, you're not children. What, what does that mean, <laughs> other kids? That was really weird. They think of themselves subconsciously as children because they're so sort of undeveloped. And, uh, and they said, we don't use our dogs our kids or dog as an excuse to leave a party. We just leave. Yeah, so do I, and I've got no kids. I just leave. In fact, I can do one better. I don't even go, all right? That's how, <laughs> that's how much of a dink I am. But I'm not a, I'm not a dink, I've, I'm a sink, which is even better, because that's single income. Who wants a dual income? That's losers. I, I don't have kids, but at least I only have a single income, Toby. At least I'm not a dink. I'm poor and alone, I think is what I'm yeah. saying. I'm not yeah. sure. And, um, Weird clap for that. That's a clap. Why is that getting a clap? It's a, it's a, Poor it's, and alone, people. It's a, it's, 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 That's our audience. That's our it's, demographic. It's a pity clap. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's all the sinks have just outed themselves in the audience. Come to the Weekly Skeptic. Lots of single tickets sold. Um, <laughs> um, but no, this was weird, Toby, on so many levels. And then there was a brilliant parody of it going like, where dinks, we've been sucked into a death cult. But anyway, he said, um, we're putting our immediate hedonistic desires above our long-term genetic interests. We're going to die alone with no one who loves us. And that's basically what it is. I, but the thing is, I can't get on my high horse because as we've established, I'm a lonely sink. What did you make of it, Toby? You're not a dink. You're, you're none of this. You're a, you're a dual income with kids. So you're like a, a dewick. <laughs> dual income have kids. How would that be? This isn't a new... Um acronym. Um, I remember oh, back in the 90s um, hearing about um, uh, couples, that they were known as dinkies. Did you speak about it on your last question time appearance? I, it was in the 90s. 90s you see. But I remember, I remember that the, the, dink, dink, dinkies were contrasted with um, Sinbads, which were single income, no boyfriend, absolutely desperate. Um, and um, and sit, sitcoms, which was single income, two children overextended mortgage. And I remember making a gag. When I, I, when I married my wife, um, she was a trainee solicitor. And for a brief, brief period, we were dinkies. And I enjoyed that. I can't say we went to Trader Joe's, but um, uh, we had a good time. Went to Verbier a few times. Um, but then we very quickly, as soon as we got married, um, she, get, well, she qualified as a solicitor, but then never practiced. And then had four children in pretty rapid succession. So we went from being dinkies to sitcoms in, in, a, in fairly short order. And by the way, um, if you're thinking of marrying a trainee solicitor who's then going to give it up as soon as she qualifies, wouldn't recommend it. What it means is that your wife can contributes nothing to the household income, but can always beat you in an argument. Um, <laughs> uh, which in my case is not great. Uh, but I should say, in fairness to my wife, who does now listen to the show, she is uh, bringing in the bacon. She is now employed, has a job. Um, and um, I think the way my career is going, given Question Time's opinion, probably be earning more money than me quite shortly. Shout out to Toby's wife. And uh, they love the old school misogyny there. It was my football misogyny they didn't like. They liked your kind of more comfortable old school. Oh, the wife. Um, OK. Mine was too edgy and real. Um, 
I like that she was, I didn't know she was a solicitor before you met, sort of getting ready for the legal troubles you would inevitably have. <laughs> um, <laughs> Specialised in libel. <laughs> yeah. She knew. Um, all right, anything else on Dinks? I mean, it was, it was it pretty, did any of you see the Dinks? I think we've probably done enough on it. It's, it you, you get the idea. It's people celebrating. It is quite, it's quite worrying for me, actually, because they will have no one when they're older. They're focusing on short-termism, consumer goods. They could, one of them was about, we, another one was we can go to Costco and eat everything we want. It was just a fat guy. We're like, yeah, okay, well done, you, you're fat. It was really weird. But I, see, I'm quite different. I, I live, obviously, it's a terrible lifestyle, but I don't advocate it. That's a key difference. It's a real key difference because I advocate don't do what I do. I say it's too late for me. I'm, t I'm a troubled genius, but <laughs> people have said, many people, many have said, um, but I say don't do that. And I was actually, you know, I, I've spoken about this because they say things like, they say things, you know, like if you're, if you're, if you are high in certain traits, you're likely to be woke and, and all this kind of thing. And if you're high in neuroticism, high in negative emotion, all that kind of shit, <laughs> you're likely to be woke. Uh, but I am actually high in neuroticism, but not woke. Right. And I say, why can't you advocate against yourself realizing that you're just a sort of terrible example you know what i mean like i, I wouldn't come and go oh i'm a sink i'm amazing i'd be like yeah i'm a yeah. sink don't do this it is odd it's sort of like um a celebration of selfishness isn't it i mean um uh, the great thing about having kids as i'm sure you'll find out one day nick um is um that didn't get a laugh. Sorry. No, um, no, no. They were just. They were the just, audience just think, no fucking way. They, no, no. Are you kidding? No, no. It's because they thought I genuinely might. That's why they didn't laugh. Oh, sorry. If they okay. laughed at that, it'd be, it'd be horrible. If they laughed at that, that would have been horrible. No, I thought. I thought they were like. You think that's a joke? I, thought, I was expecting a sympathetic laugh. I said, of course, you know. Ha, no, ha, no. Yes, of course. Uh, but maybe not. Um, so, uh, the good thing about the good thing about having kids is that. Um, you do have to stop thinking about yourself all the time. Um, if you suffer from narcissistic personality disorder, what like are you a saying? Shock kill. <laughs> Nothing. No, no, no. Suggest anything. <laughs> I did. I, I actually am not a narcissist, by the way. Just quickly on that, because I did a test, which is maybe <laughs> it's a slightly narcissistic thing to do, I admit. But um, I did. I, <laughs> I did the dark triad test, and it tests. Machiavellianism, uh, narcissism, and psychopathy. And you'll be pleased to know, Toby, I got basically zero in psychopathy, basically zero Machiavellianism, which is probably why I don't get anywhere in life. I need to be more like that. And I got slightly high in narcissism, but lower than average still. And okay. for a comedian and TV presenter, pretty damn low. And I came out as lighter than the average person. So there you go. What we'll do, I think we've done, that's, that's a good period to move on to our next section. But I think before we do that, you should do your advert, Toby. Yep. And I think it, to make it so authentic to the actual podcast, I'm going to nip out. <laughs> You do the advert for Car26, our brilliant sponsor. Is that all right? Yep. Okay. But it'll be a fun interactive advert, maybe. Back um, in a sec. And what will, be, what will be odd is that Nick usually spends so long in the loo that I then have to ad lib on the podcast. We, we edit that out, but you'll have to hear it. But um, So um, this is an ad for Car26, um, our generous sponsors this evening. Thank you, Lois. So Car26 has been taking the fight against net zero for the last two years since before COP26. Uh, led by Lois Perry, here tonight with us, Car26 campaigns for rational analysis and decision-making and free debate in this critical battle against the globalist green blob. Uh, naturally, Lois and Car26 are great FSU supporters. Let's follow and support them. Go to, on, uh, go to their website, which is car26.org, sign the declaration, and make a donation or purchase some of their cool merchandise. So Car26, one of the most effective organisations combating net zero hysteria. 
Um, we need many more like it. But thank you, Lois, for doing your bit. And thank you for being here tonight and for sponsoring our show. Thank you. So while he's away, what do you want to know about Nick? <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, no, he's, uh, yeah, accusing him of not being adequately prepared is um, completely misreading his character, I have to say. He, as he said himself, has OCD, and the preparation that goes into these shows, the phone calls, the uh, angst, the belly aching, it's really quite something. Um, here he is, Nick Dixon. <laughs> How did he manage? Because I make it look easy hosting it. Um, um, I suddenly worried then that I'd left my mic on. I didn't know how to turn it off. Ah. And uh, Which brings us to... Which brings us brilliantly to our next topic. So it was very deliberate. If you'd have heard me uh, nipping to the, the loo, it would have been so topical because we, we want, now want to move on and do our occasional section, which is the X-Files. Uh, and I'm leaving a little pause in case you want to add a sting in post. You wouldn't understand. Anyway, we're doing the X-Files. And what happened is... X-Files, if you don't know, is our section where we talk about X, formerly Twitter, which is so annoying. It's a rubbish rebrand. You should just call it Twitter. But anyway, and the big thing that happened on X was that Alex Jones got reinstated. And, uh, but he also, there was a space where Vivek Ramaswamy ended up going to the toilet, which is why I'm talking about that. But let's just do it in order. So Alex Jones got back on X. So Elon Musk did a poll. Should we reinstate Alex Jones back on X? And 70% said yes. And so then he had to bring him back on. Uh, does, anyone, does anyone know who Alex Jones is? Yeah. Who, who's a fan of Alex Jones? Yeah. And who doesn't like Alex Jones? Okay, so quite mixed. Because, so famously, because Alex Jones was obviously big on conspiracies and everything, he obviously went very wrong with the Sandy Hook thing and he said it didn't happen and, and, it, and you know, he's apologised multiple, multiple times. So then, and then Elon Musk didn't even want to let him on because he was so appalled by that. But then he's realised, free speech, I have to let him on, even though it will have financial penalties. So he lets him back on. And then not only that, but he did a space, if you know what Twitter spaces are, or X spaces now, where you can just talk to everyone. And Elon Musk was on there with Alex Jones, Vivek Ramaswamy, who could be American president, probably not, and Andrew Tate jumped in as well. So it was like Avengers Assemble for like the far right nutters. And it was amazing. And we were trying to work out who was who just before the show. Elon Musk, obviously Iron Man, famously, Tony Stark, right? Got to be Tony Stark. And then yeah. um, Vivek must be Captain America, right? He's going for president. And obviously Alex Jones, the Incredible Hulk, right? That's just yeah. so obvious. And then I was trying to work out who Tate was. I was thinking maybe Tate's the baddie. I'm not sure. Yeah, he could be Thanos. But I think you gave him the benefit of the doubt. You made Andrew Tate Thor. But what about Tristram? Tristan, Tate, yeah, does he, does he, is he then Hawkeye? And I am famously followed by Tate on Twitter, and we have had DMs, so I have to be very, <laughs> very careful. I know, I know I don't agree with him on everything, Palestine, blah de blah de blah But anyway, oh, that, I'm in trouble again, Toby. Um, <laughs> just me, I should just do a show, me and Andrew Tate attack female commentators. That would be my, <laughs> the least popular. <laughs> anyway, let's press on. So they did this space, and it was incredible, really. General Flynn popped up as well. All kinds of people. And Musk said a few key things. He said, basically, he was agreeing with a lot of what Alex Jones and Tate said. He said, now the distinction is not left or right. It's extinctionists versus pro-humanity. And Musk just said, I'm pro-human. He said, we can't, he said, keeping the same is not a stable state. We're either going to contract or expand. We're going to decline or go forward. And he said, I want to go forward to the stars, to Mars, and I'm team human. He also said, we're sparsely populated. He said that actually... 
we could have 10 times more people on the earth. He said, if you dropped a bowling ball from space or from a plane, you found it impossible to hit someone. You know, you'd have to drop thousands and thousands. It'd be near. He actually said this might freak people out, but there's loads of stuff falling from space all the time, which he sees with his with SpaceX. That freaked me out. For uh, I did start to worry briefly about stuff hitting me in the head. But um, <laughs> I don't, it it's like you don't need to give Nick new neuroses, Elon. You know what I mean? It's like um, so. Anyway, and he also said spaces will have video in future. Which after the Ron DeSantis embarrassment, he called it, when they tried to launch DeSantis' campaign, it was a total joke. They've now fixed the text so you could have millions of people on there. So the future is going to be millions of people on video on an X space together if they got the funding and the whole thing doesn't fall apart, which is a big if. He said that some days X approaches 10% of all people on the internet are using X. So that's a huge number. So it does make me wonder, how come they still can't monetize it? You know, do a live show at the Hippodrome or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Stick up a paywall, do something. But he said it's just been hard to keep the wheels on the bus with X because it's not just keeping the wheels on the bus. It's upgrading the wheels while hurtling down the highway at 100 miles per hour. So I've just given away the whole story. But basically, that's what it was. Toby. What was your take on the space? Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite fun to listen to. And it was like, it's sort of like, it's odd to kind of have all these kind of, you know, world historical individuals assembling together and just sort of listening to them as you kind of go about your kind of normal domestic duties in the kitchen, which is what I was doing when I was listening to it, because um, uh, I'm a surrendered husband. Yeah, um, yeah I, but, did, I didn't want to say anything, but you sounded a bit uh, cut there, Toby. <laughs> I, I call it just being a good husband. Um, but uh, but, but um, I, I was slightly worried in that, um, given that Musk has now, I mean, he's he's he's... He's faced this kind of advertiser revolt, this advertising boycott. Twitter's clearly struggling to make ends meet. Um, he spent what, I mean, it's not all his own money, but um, upwards of what, 30 billion? Or upwards of 40 more. billion, yeah, yeah, I think, it buying it in the something. first place. He's got all these kind of that. Yeah. investors that What's have invested that? in it. Yeah, 40, I, I, 40, I heard 43 or 44, 44 billion, yeah, yeah. and then I okay. heard it's even more than that. And you sort of think, um, uh, and it felt to me a little as though, you know, the reason. Um, Musk said F you to the advertisers who are boycotting uh, Twitter, which isn't exactly going to encourage any of them to come back. And the reason he's let Alex Jones back on the platform, which again is not going to encourage advertisers like Disney or Apple uh, to you know, reconsider advertising on the platform. Um, uh, it felt to me as though he's in kind of kamikaze mode now. He realizes the business is probably going to fail. Um, and he wants a kind of good story to tell. And the story is going to be that it was shut down by the COVID, by the censorship industrial complex who don't believe in free speech. And he's going to be a kind of free speech martyr. It wasn't just a straightforward business failure. So it felt to me as though he's kind of like preparing the ground for a story to tell about why X failed, which is pretty alarming because I think... Musk buying X has been a kind of huge win for the kind of anti-woke coalition. Um, and if it then falls, if, it, if, if, if receivers take it over and appoint someone much less pro-free speech to run it, um, then that'll be a huge loss to our side. Yeah, I feel a bit similar. I was like, this is so cool. Alex Jones, Tate, Musk, everyone just weighing in. It's just it was so much fun. You'd have to have a heart of stone not to enjoy that. But I did think, is this also the end for, yeah, because it's no good if it shuts down the platform. But then again, the platform's no good if it's not a free speech platform. Then you also have the question of how far do you go? Why do you allow Alex Jones and not Nick Fuentes? You know, where is the line of people that you allow on? Is it Toby Young? Yeah, probably not me. Because um, it is for question it, time. It, it, that's true, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think um, 
maybe, maybe his kind of survival, maybe I'm being, you know, too cynical, and he actually has a kind of strategy, a business strategy, which will make X succeed. And maybe he's going to bring in people like Andrew Tate and Tommy Robinson and Alex Jones, maybe even Nick, Nick Fuentes, um, in order to just make it more and more popular. And then he can roll out his kind of um, alternative to PayPal and um, his video conferencing app and all the other things, which he, he has a big enough audience he can somehow make work. But at the moment, it feels like if he does have a kind of strategy, a business strategy, and there's some kind of method behind things like the space with the conspiracist Avengers, so it's not clear what that is. That's Elon Musk. Uh, just <laughs> quickly call and say, hey, it's, it's, we're, gonna, we're doing fine. Um, but yeah, I do... Yeah, I wonder, because it's very hard to draw a line, because you tend to just draw a line with these controversial people, but they're not world leaders and despots and the Khamenei's and all these people, and it doesn't tend to make any coherent sense. It's just who's too controversial to get away with. I think it has to be everyone. You just have to stick everyone on there. How can it be anything else, unless they are inciting violence? What do we think? Should we let everyone on Twitter, X? Yeah. I don't see what else you can do. I mean, it has to be free speech. But they are completely out to get him. Disney's out to get him. He also said that Media Matters was an evil organization and he will hound them to the ends of the earth. Anyone that funds them, he's going like full, like Clint Eastwood yeah. on their asses. He's like, yeah. he's like I'll Medieval. track you down. I'll yeah. kill your family. I'll burn your house down. Yeah. Yeah. He talks a big game when it comes to fighting back against the censorship industrial complex. Um, he did at one point say that um, anyone who uh, lost their job as a result of saying something on Twitter, um, he would support, he would kind of create yes. this legal fund. And we, at the Free Speech Union, we, we try to approach him about that because we have a lot of members who've got into trouble for things they've said on X, but he's been quite quite difficult to kind of um, pin down on that particular promise. Yeah, yeah, you need the money. Okay, well, I think we probably covered that. It's a little bit dry for a live show. I probably wouldn't do it at a live show. Um, <laughs> I can never tell, because if we're just talking, I can never, I, the comedian in me needs like constant laughs. And if there's anything where people are just listening, I'm like, they hate me now. Um, <laughs> it's a kind of mental illness all comedians have. And even though I've quit the biz, I still have the, uh, the problem in my mind. So uh, it's, it's good because it makes you funny, but it also makes your life hell. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> should we do our other section, which is, we sometimes do another section called Across the Pond. Now, we're going across the pond, guys, to America, because uh, lots of things have gone on. Maybe we should start with this one, with the, uh, the Penn genocide escapades. I mean, this was unbelievable. So if you didn't see, Toby will give the detail, but there was a hearing of some sort, and there were all these leaders of universities. One of them was Penn, and one of them was this Elizabeth McGill, and there was other ones like Harvard. I think it was called Claudine Gay, I believe. And, it's, there's all these, and they were giving testimony about, what are your rules about hate speech? Is it okay to call for the genocide of Jewish people? And their answers were appalling. They were equivocating. One, they were smirking. And they were trying to say, oh, well, it's, it depends about what, what the conduct is. And we're going, what do you mean the conduct? The conduct is saying you want to genocide Jewish people. And they couldn't answer it. And it was very hard for them to even pretend it was a free speech thing, because, of course, they've not cared about any other number of free speech issues. So it looked incredibly bad for them. And then Elizabeth McGill, she's president of Penn, came out and did a statement, a kind of pathetic apology, which is very unconvincing. Then she resigned. And this was, sorry, I got my chronology wrong. Someone took away 100 million in funding. Then she did the apology. That's quite important. That's quite important. And um, then she did the apology. Then she resigned. Then, then maybe we'll get on to Saturday Night Live did a sketch, which we can get on to. But Toby, what was your take on this? Yeah, well, it was um, uh, extremely embarrassing for these three Ivy League uh, presidents. So it was, as you say, it was Harvard, Penn, and um, MIT. Um, and uh, they seemingly struggled to give a straight answer when this quite aggressive, pugnacious um, 
New York Congresswoman, um, Eleanor Stefanik, um, yeah. when she asked them, um, would it constitute um, a breach of your harassment uh, policy if people call for the genocide of the Jews on your campus? And instead of just unequivocally saying, yes, that would be unacceptable, that would be a breach of our harassment policy, they kind of um, wiggled around. And um, they all said, more or less, that it would be context-dependent. And one of them said, I think it was Claudine Gay, but I could have got that wrong, said that, um, of course, if it led to action, then we'd, fr then we'd, then we'd take a dim view. It's like... An actual Helen, genocide. Like, well, yeah, if, if, they, if, if, they, if people literally started slaughtering Jews on the campus of Harvard, th then they'd begin to take it seriously. And if you wanted to complain about that, they'd, they'd consider it. Um, it was just bizarre. And, um, and as you say, Nick, um, there was a kind of uh, donor revolt. And hitherto, donors um, haven't been able to exercise too much influence over the direction of travel at particularly the most prestigious Ivy League colleges in the US, but now they seem to be, there seems to have been, you know, it's almost like the kind of shareholder activism um, which resulted in the mass embrace of ESG. It seems as though these donors are now beginning to flex their muscles. They, they've woken up to the fact that something's gone very wrong um, in the US and the UK higher education sector, and they're giving their money to what appear to be um, factories, woke madrasas, um, which churn out woke kind of automatons who embrace anti-Semitism. Um, uh, uh, Jonathan Haidt, the co-author of The Closing of the American Mind, uh, tweeted earlier today that he thought that the um, movement, the identitarian movement that had swept American campuses beginning in 2015-16 had met its Waterloo with these congressional hearings. And he's now optimistic that things will change, particularly with the donors um, threatening to uh, withdraw their money unless things do change. And apparently, I read today that something like a billion dollars, which had been promised to Harvard, is now pending. It's now back in the pending column. Uh, but, but I'm not sure how effective this you know, donor revolt will be, given that institutions like Harvard have an endowment of $50 billion. So even one, one billion being at risk is not necessarily going to get them to change their policy. I think in all likelihood, what will happen is that they'll set up, you know, centers for the study of anti-Semitism. Um, they'll, they'll, instead of, I mean, the, the reaction of Liz McGill when she tried to survive, but unsuccessfully was, I got that wrong, we shouldn't, she initially fell back on the First Amendment. What she was trying to say was that we tolerate speech unless it leads to, you know, imminent lawless action, which is the First Amendment standard articulated in Brandenburg versus Ohio. Um, and, uh, but she kind of garbled it. And as Nick said, it's completely implausible that that is the standard on these Ivy League campuses, because of course, if you say anything remotely uh, like what the activists have been saying about Israel, about African-Americans or indigenous Americans or women or trans people, you know, the university comes down on you like a ton of bricks. Um, so it was sort of completely implausible that they're guided by, you know, the First Amendment when it comes to what speech they'll tolerate and what speech they'll punish. Um, but the reaction of Liz McGill was, well, we're now going to punish much more speech, as though that was the kind of correct response, instead of actually being as tolerant of the pro-Palestinian protesters on campus, maybe extending that tolerance to other contentious speakers on campus, but that wasn't the reaction. So it's likely to go kind of down. It's likely to get even worse, I would say, before it gets better. I mean, people often say peak woke, woke's met its Waterloo, and I've said it too. And one of the reasons we introduced 
the peak woke section in this podcast. So we think it must be peaking. The wind is about to change direction. It can't get any worse than this. But I always liken it, and I've said that so many times and got it wrong. You know, it's, it's got 10 times worse. The moment I've celebrated woke peaking, suddenly it gets worse. It's a bit like you fall, it's, I, I liken it to falling, falling through a collapsing building. You know, uh, you, you, that's Western civilization. You think, you think you've kind of hit the, the ground floor and the buildings are kind of, it's collapsing around you. And suddenly the floor gives way again and like whoosh. And he hadn't actually hit rock bottom yet. It's just kind of an endless doom spiral. So who knows? Yeah. Okay. Don't mean to depress you there. <laughs> good, good Toby rant. Um, yeah, I'll just respond to some of that. Maybe not all of it because it was very long. But it was, uh, it was good. We'll cut but it in the edit. It was good, but it was long. Is it all right if I get a water, by the way, uh, bar people? Is that okay? Is that too deverage? Oh, you want to give me yours? You yeah. don't need it. You just need the booze. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, thank you. Well, let me respond to some of that then. Well, just, yeah, the thing I thought was that the reason they think they can get away with this is they've been saying it about white people for ages. They've, they've had critical race theory. They've had all this garbage. They used to just, any group they see as the oppressor, they attack, and the oppressed are the great people. And now they've suddenly run into the problem of they're against Jewish people because of Israel, and now suddenly that's not allowed. And it's good that it's not allowed. It's great they've had their funding taken away, and they were absolutely appalling and disgusting in that hearing. And so I'm very much on that side, but then part of me goes, that it's a pity that they didn't take away the funding for critical race theory and all this, you know, garbage that was being taught before. And it had to come down to actual anti-Semitism to do it. Though I am glad they've done it. And I made a, and then Andrew Sullivan made a really similar point and wrote a long article about it. And it made me feel smart because he, he wrote an article agreeing with me. Uh, not, didn't, not literally. But, you know, he said the same, that basically they've been doing this with, with white people for ages. They've been used to this oppressor, oppressed, very simple thing. White people are evil. But now Jewish people, they see as kind of white. They see as part of the oppressor. So they're lumped in with the same thing. But now they're rubbing up against the reality of how appalling that is. Mm -hmm. And it is making a big difference. Um, even CNN, Fareed Zakaria did a long piece to camera about how it's America's top university should abandon their long misadventure into politics, retrain their gaze on their core strengths and rebuild their reputations as centers of research and learning. So even CNN have gone on to this. And he said, you know, they started with the best of intentions. That was the only bit that was completely false. Woke <laughs> never had good intentions. It was always about resentment. It was always about attacking Western values and attacking certain groups that were deemed the oppressors. So it was never about good intentions. But even CNN are saying, could we go back to learning stuff and not teaching this utter garbage. So that's a big thing. And the other big thing I want to pick up was these SNL, not big thing, but this Saturday Night Live did a parody of the hearing. But because they're so on the side of the establishment, it was so weird to watch. It was that weird leftist comedy where it's like they tried to attack the person asking the questions who came across really well. Yeah. And they were on the side of these smirking idiots yeah. failing to condemn genocide. So how do you do satire from that perspective? Well, it's very, very bad is the answer. <laughs> and they retain the trappings of satire, but what it actually is, is sort of disturbing propaganda. And it's a really weird thing to watch when the left's taken over the establishment and they're trying to do satire, but all it is is just, you know, espousing the, the views of the regime, however absurd and obscene. Like reading Private Eye these days, yeah. Right. <laughs> You better go at me as well. So yeah, absolutely. Fuck them. Um, so that story was pretty appalling. Um, maybe we'll do how much time we got. Maybe we'll do one more because people are like Nick's not prepared. I'm trying to keep time. I'm trying to do everything. And we are going to have a Q and A. Um, well, yeah, we're going to do a Q and A in a minute. Set aside the last twenty. Don't worry. Well, you'll get to speak soon. We'll stop. Um, let's just do one more. Do you want to do a Trump story quickly? Yeah. yeah. Let's do a Trump story. Everyone loves a Trump story. So, so Trump said. So Trump was asked on Hannity on a live show, a bit like this actually, uh, but not quite as funny. And he said, um, probably funny, it is Trump. He said to him, people are worried you're going to be a dictator. Are you going to be a dictator? And he said, no, except for day one. 
which was such a chump thing to say. For day one, you know, he's like, I'll just be a, briefly a, be a dictator. And what he meant was, and then he said he's going crazy to Hannity, and it was all this kind of Trump stuff. Really, what he meant was, it turned out, he would close the border and do a lot of drilling for oil. That's all he actually meant. But he, he phrased it in a kind of Trumpian way that he would be a dictator for day, for day one day or day one. What do you think, Toby? I personally would love a dictator Trump just doing loads of cool stuff. But would yeah. you like it? I, well, I, I think if he was... I mean, most newly elected presidents take advantage of the fact that they've just won to do a lot of politically contentious, difficult things in the first 100 days or so. So maybe he was just basically saying that. It was a bit, it was a slightly odd thing to say. And Biden, I think, had quite a, a decent gag from, you know, by his standards at a, at, a, at a Democrat fundraiser in which he said, so Trump's only gonna be a dictator for, for one day. Fantastic, great news, only one day. I mean, I thought it was, you know, by his standards, not a bad joke. Um, yeah. but, they uh, didn't get it here. No, um, didn't, didn't, um, didn't land in this room. The, the energy goes uh, down. Brought the house down at the Democratic yeah, yeah. fundraiser, by the way, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do a live podcast because it's a balance between information and bants. But anyway, yeah, it, speaking of that, by the way, did you see Alex Jones's interview with Tucker Carlson when they talked about Biden? Alex is like, oh, he's, uh, he walks around naked in the White House. Uh, he, he attacked a dog. He attacked a dog. And Tucker goes, really? What a pig. Just immediately <laughs> believes everything Alex Jones says. What a pig. He, he attacked a dog. Yeah, so apparently Biden's been attacking dogs naked in the White House is what we've learned. <laughs> It's so funny. You should watch that interview if you haven't watched it. It's so funny. Tucker's like, you live amongst liberal now. liberals now. What are they like? And he, Alex Jones like, I feel sorry for them. They're terrible. He said they live in high rises and they order food. I'm like, steady on, mate. That's how I live. Um, <laughs> high rises? What's wrong with that? But um, yeah, anyway, so Trump says he'll be a dictator for a day. It's totally Trump. It's classic banter. It's like, oh, here we go. We've got drinks. Amazing. Um, the Thank energy's going to perk up now, guys. Just wait. They've got my Red Bull. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, basically, it's a classic Trump thing. That, that everyone's worried about him being a dictator. So he says, yeah, I'm, I am going to be one, but just for a, a one-day lol. And everyone's just like, it just everyone goes crazy. But um, what struck me as well is that really the dictators are the, is the Biden administration. Sorry to say it. I mean, look at the treatment of January 6th prisoners. You know there's a, pris there's a guy who walked into the Capitol building. And he just wandered in there. He didn't break into anything. He didn't do anything. Wandered in. He, he it gave himself up immediately to the FBI when they asked him. Then they hit him on this charge. He was going to get a few months or something. And then they said, no, no, we're going to get him on this new charge. It'll be nine years in prison. And he actually killed himself, which uh, is a dark thing to bring up. But that is so disgusting. No one's talking about that kind of thing. The treatment of January 6th people, whatever you think of the day, it's, it's so disgusting. People have loitered in, they've languished in jail in horrible conditions. Some of them have killed themselves. Absolutely horrific. Those are the di dictators, if you ask me, not Trump. Yeah. 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 The thing that slightly worries me about Trump is that, um, not the only thing, but one of the things, is that um, the woke, I mean, I think most people trace the kind of origins of woke to kind of 2013, 2014, which was weird because that was during Obama's presidency. So it's the kind of like least credible time in which to claim America was a kind of white supremacist, systemically racist society. Black president just been re-elected, um, but nevertheless, that seems to be when it stems from. Probably because that was the kind of birth of smartphones, which kind of became the main kind of mode of transmission of the woke mind virus. Um, but but that that got the kind of woke movement going, and then when Trump was elected president in 2016, that kind of gave it a kind of massive energy boost and enabled the kind of woke to tell each other that, in fact, America was a kind of white supremacist, far-right, kind of borderline dictatorship. Um, uh, of course, all nonsense, but, but it, it definitely kind of uh, uh, really 
um, uh, energised that movement and we're living with the kind of afterburn now. But I think it, you know, notwithstanding what I said earlier, I think the woke movement uh, does seem to be slightly losing momentum, running out of steam. And my worry is that if Trump is re-elected, is elected next year, it'll be like apply, applying a defibrillator to the woke corpse just when you thought, you know, stupid identitarian politics was about to kind of expire. Suddenly it comes roaring back to life like Freddy Krueger um, because Trump's re-elected. But I guess on the plus side, maybe if Keir Starmer wins um, the next general election, um, that will take some of the energy and momentum out of the British woke movement. It'll be harder for them to claim that uh, they're in opposition and that they're sort of somehow part of the rebel alliance, which is this peculiar kind of fantasy they have when they imagine what it is they are and what they're doing. They think they're, they're tilting against the Tory establishment so harder to kind of maintain that fiction. Um, mm. Because, of course, they control almost everything apart from politics. But when they control politics as well, finally, it'll, I think, take some of that kind of rebellious kind of momentum out of the kind of woke movement in this country. Well, I hate your theory about Trump because it's a kind of battered wife theory. It's like, oh, don't, don't bring Trump back because the woke will attack us again. You know, it's a kind of, I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it. It's a sort of a domestic victory. So it's like, oh, no, you know, they'll get, they'll get us back worse. Isn't it kind of like a weird, cowering Craven approach. I mean, if Trump gets in, woke will come back. I'm more like, let Trump come in, yeah, yeah, let him yeah. stick everyone in prison, day one, dictator. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I let him purge the, drain the swamp, drain the swamp, lock her up, <laughs> all of those things. Curious analogy. I often feel like Nick's battered wife, actually. <laughs> <laughs> lock up the drain swamp. I'm just all of those things. But let me just come back on the woke thing, because I forgot. Peter Bogosian did a really interesting tweet about this. And he said, the demise of the dominant ideology will now come quickly. Do not expect the thugs and bullies who weaponize these uniquely idiotic ideas to apologize. Instead, expect epic gaslighting. I never believed it. I had nothing to do with it. And I, I agree they will try to gaslight, but I also see woke potentially ending. But I'm saying that we can't allow that. Because to me, they're like, woke people are like, they're like war criminals. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> what they did, They've taken advantage of the suspension of normal moral standards in order to act in a way advantageous to them and they can act with impunity because they've noticed they can get away with it, okay? And in that way, they are like the Nazis that everyone, they accuse us of being, right? They, they are like that. Have you ever seen the movie Casualties of War? Okay, so they, Sean Penn and the others, they rape this woman and Michael J. Fox is the only guy that won't do it. And so he's kind of the hero. He's kind of like me, but, but the... Uh, <laughs> But the point is, at war, these horrible things happen. And if you, if you stay true to your morals, you don't go along with them. But if you're these woke people, you go, oh, look, we can get away with this. You can get away with dehumanizing people and white people are evil and now it's Jews and now it's Israel. And we can do whatever we want. We can advance our own power. We can advance this agenda because we're getting away with it. We can utilize this for our own power, even though it's clearly the wrong thing to do. But because we're kind of in a mania, we're in this kind of wartime where all the normal rules don't apply. We're just going to get away with it. That's how I see them. So they can't be let off the hook in the way that Bogosian talks about. They can't just get away with saying we never believed it. We have to hold them to account and say, no, you did believe it, and it was disgusting, and it was wrong. And when it ends, that's what I'll be there saying. Yeah, no, yeah. I... <laughs> I, like, I, like the, I like the concept of cult, culture war criminals. Yeah, but can I just quickly... And I, and I am running to be a, a new, an MP. Uh, no, and I, I just, it seemed the moment to just suddenly run. I got inspired. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the new Farage. Uh, sorry, anyway, go on. And I, I like the idea of um, uh, kind of like a kind of wanted poster 
of a cultural war, culture war criminal, and the concept of a culture war criminal. I think it's quite nice. Yeah. Uh, we could do something with that. Well, I just think they are. I mean, I have sort of compared them to rapists there, but there it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's disgusting. So anyway, I do think... Let me just quickly ask, before we go to our favorite, famous uh, section, who thinks that woke could end soon? Oh, wow, no one at all. <laughs> okay, who thinks we're just stuck with it then for ages? Yeah. Okay, interesting. A very negative audience. Yeah, I'm, I'm like getting all hopeful we're going to crush these people. You're like, no, we won't, Nick. No, I see it. I see it coming. I've, see, I've seen it. I've foreseen it. Um, I'm like Yoda. I've seen it. Um, I don't know. I think it could, because you saw how quickly Sturgeon fell apart. Maybe it was her financial dealings. Maybe it was the Isla Bryson thing. I think it can very quickly fall yeah. apart. And uh, maybe, or maybe they'll just, maybe they'll just put it away. There's one guy on Twitter who says they'll put woke away. So they'll put it away ostensibly, and they'll sort of focus on other things. But they'll tone it down. If CNN, if CNN are saying that, really, because if CNN are saying that even univers universities have got to calm down and get back to teaching, if CNN are saying that, I say maybe it ends. Maybe they just make it seem like it's ending. I don't know. Very negative audience here. So. I think it, I think it will it will certainly end eventually. But um, it's like it's like it's like um, you know Marxist Leninism in the Soviet Union and its Eastern European satellite states. You know, it wasn't that lots and lots of people believed it. I think you know the vast majority thought it was nonsense. But nonetheless, the enforcers had sufficient power and were sufficiently terrifying to stop anyone else from speaking out. And and um, you know criticizing the kind of prevailing ideology. What we need is a kind of Berlin Wall moment. You know that moment when everybody realizes that it's a house of cards and no one believes it. And if we can just pull out pull down enough bricks, the leaders are going to flee. And um, one thing I hope for with the I'm still hopeful with the Free Speech Union is that if we can decrease the cost of speaking out of saying what you think. Um, uh, if we can stop so many people being cancelled and losing their livelihoods just for kind of criticising, being heretics in the woke church, uh, criticising female football pundits, um, then, uh, then, then, then enough people will, will be able to speak out. And if enough people speak out, it'll be hard to cancel all of them. And then more people will speak out and there'll be a kind of cascade of truth-telling and the woke wall will collapse. But we're not quite there yet. Someone, someone's shouting no, but I find that inspiring, Toby. Um, yeah, the cost, the cost will decrease, but you'll still have to pay your free speech union membership <laughs> yeah, fees. They're going up. But um, <laughs> no, you just remind me there, just briefly on that, that yeah, that was one cool thing about the X space, and X in general being a free speech platform, is that it brings people together so they can talk to each other and they know it's out there. Because in the Soviet Union, my understanding, having read no books, was that... Uh, <laughs> was that when people could, could communicate with each other and like, oh, you, know, you think this yeah. is nonsense as well. Oh, yeah. so do you. Then yeah. it comes crashing down. Yes. No one believes it. It's yes. telling each other you don't believe it. So once you've had Alex Jones and Tate and Musk and all these people on X, and you, know, you, you can't really put that back, back yes. in the bag because it's, it's we've all heard it now. We've all seen yeah. what free speech yeah. is. And I think that's why Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter was so important, X. Um, uh, you're right. I mean, I think one of the crucial things which, which propped up the kind of Marxist control system in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe for so long was that even though very few people actually had any faith in that particular religion, the fact that so few people did wasn't common knowledge because right. they, they were worried about sharing it with each other. They didn't get an opportunity that often to meet and talk to each other. So they thought they were, they thought they were in a tiny minority. And I think a lot of people who are kind of skeptical about wokery think that they're in a tiny minority and don't speak out um, yeah. for fear that everyone else will jump on them, there'll be a pile on. Um, so yeah, I think 
persuading people, letting them know somehow that actually they're not a tiny minority, they're the vast majority, is part of what will eventually bring down the wall. Yeah, okay. Well, we've only got 20 minutes. We do want to get to the Q&A. So let's quickly go and do everyone's favourite section. Speaking of woke, it's peak woke. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, Toby, do you want to go first or me? Um, uh, I'm happy to go first. Let yeah, me just see first. what I've got here. Um, You're not prepared for this, Toby. So um, I, I'm going to leave... people uh, here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, well, there, there was, um, I guess, one, one, one good example of peak woke um, was the Tory party deputy chairman, um, uh, Rachel McLean. Um, who's been accused of transphobia because she described the Green Party candidate in, where was it, her constituency? I can't remember. Um, uh, I'm going to look it up on the BBC right now, and we're going to edit this bit out in the... Uh, You're trying uh, to steal but, my uh, people. Are you yeah, doing so the... Melissa Paulson. This was my people. Um, uh, it. It so, so Melissa Paulson is the um, Green candidate in Bromsgrove, and uh, Rachel McLean, Deputy Tory Party Chairman, described... Melissa Poulton as a bloke in a wig. And, um, and I don't know if you saw Nick's, Nick's last appearance on our Weekly Skeptic Live show as Jordan Peterson wearing a kind of the, the least convincing blonde wig I've ever seen. It was a great um, wig. But Nick made a more convincing female impersonator than this particular Green Party candidate. And, and the Green Party candidate, Melissa Poulton, appeared on, I think it was on the BBC, yeah. to complain about being... Uh, misgendered, dead-named, about the rampant transphobia of the deputy chairman of the Conservative Party, uh, calling him a bloke in a wig. And as he was being, he was like, literally, it was like a bloke in a wig. I mean, it couldn't have been more conspicuously a man wearing a wig. And it was just like, you know, you, it was just like, you felt, it was just so, it was just uh, a completely... Uh, non-credible denunciation of, yeah. of Rachel McLean for describing a bloke in a wig as a bloke in a wig. It was like a donkey appearing on the television saying, how dare you describe me as a donkey? I'm a racehorse! It yeah. was just bizarre. <laughs> well, we agreed that was going to be my peak woke just before the show, but Toby stole it because he's high, high in Machiavellianism. But, um... <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> but I can add something to it, yeah. So this Melissa Poulton person came up and did this, saying, without a shadow of a doubt, it's transphobic and all this sort of stuff. Obviously a bloke. And a little bit more information. So t BBC Midlands shared this on, on X. I said, delete your account. And um, this person was formerly called Matt Viner and was a Tory candidate. Didn't get anywhere as a Tory candidate. Then went, well, I'm Melissa now, and now as a Green candidate. That's how easy it is. Green candidate, green wig, and you're suddenly a woman. That's, yeah, and um, I've even heard an extra couple of creepy details. One is that... He is a, has apparently shared sissy porn on Tumblr in the past. Sorry to bring that up here, but uh, the other one... I don't one, even know what that is. I don't, don't even know what it is. is. No, I'll, I'll show you later. And the other one... <laughs> <laughs> and the other, it's tough being a well, sick. The other one... Um, <laughs> the other, can't believe that got a clap. Grim. Grim. Um, and the other one is that he... Paulson, Paulson, sorry, is apparently his ex-wife's maiden name that he chose. So how creepy is that wrinkle in the story? Very, very creepy. That is I, I got one more wrinkle, which is um, Melissa um, is a passionate advocate of uh, quotas to make sure that there are 50% 50, 50 of the candidates who stand in election for the Green Party are women and 50% are men. <laughs> and, so Melissa is benefiting from this quota, and that's why she's a passionate defender of it. Yeah. How, well, what percentage are men in wigs? Because there's, there's no one left. Um, okay. In the Green Party, about 50%. Um, uh, <laughs> all right, well, that's that one done. And that was my one, so I'm, I'm screwed now. But uh, I thought you wanted I, to do I, I National Anthem. 
No, you I were, was leaving you that gonna, alone. You were going to do that. that. No, no, you were doing that, okay, doing that sorry, alone. Okay. I was doing that one. It's every week with Toby. You don't, people are like, Nick doesn't prepare. I, do so, I have to get Toby in line every week. I'll do a couple of anti-Pete Wilkes, which I thought would be interesting. So these are kind of, these are kind of the opposite of Pete Wilkes. I just thought it would be interesting. It's like, I don't want to call it woke Pete, but a uh, weak poke. But it's basically, there was a bird charity that broke ties with Chris Packham because he was too outspoken and too political. And this was the Raptor Rescue I don't know why they're rescuing raptors first off. They, they wreak havoc in Jurassic Park, all right? But, but secondly, how far have you gone when you're too controversial for a bird of prey rehabilitation charity? <laughs> and, and because he said you should break the law on Channel 4, the raptor rescue were like, I'm sorry, we can't stand with that. That's absolutely... And I'm glad they're taking a stand because Channel 4 haven't done anything about it. Did you follow this, Toby? I did, yeah. No, that was uh, great to see Chris Beckham finally get into... His a come bit of trouble, his comeuppance. From Raptor yeah. Rescue. Another yeah. one I thought was interesting, kind of, kind of like messing with the algorithm here of Pete Woke, was that was a, a woke-free beer. So real women of the US posed with guns for woke-free beer firm's anti-Bud Light calendar. Seth Weathers, who's a conservative dad, kind of a Toby Young figure, but in America. <laughs> and he, uh, he's put out this calendar with Riley Gaines, who's really cool, and Dana Lausch and uh, Ashley St. Clair and all these people. And they're kind of basically, basically it's women posing with beer and guns. Which, you know, I'm not going to say anything about it because of how that female commentator bit went down, but obviously, <laughs> obviously I'm against it. But... Uh, um, <laughs> But it is quite cool. They're, they're hitting out and doing their... It's an obvious marketing, you know, open goal, isn't it? I don't know if it's back to football analogies, but it's an obvious, <laughs> it's an obvious marketing strategy to go anti-Bud Light. Yeah, no, I hope they succeed. Um, my neck, I'd probably just do one more peak work, and I hope you weren't planning to do this one. You no, can no, have national anthem. Have this one, yeah. Um, but um, agree. there was uh, a horrible story reported by the BBC, which was um, a uh, trans woman, a man... Um, was um, uh, has been has been jailed um, because uh, he encouraged um, uh, someone else to abuse a child, and um, the headline on the BBC was "Predatory Woman Who Incited Man to Abuse Child, comma four, comma Jailed." Um, but the odd thing about this BBC headline was it had um, double in, it had inverted commas around the word predatory, but not around the word woman. It's like, Ugh. as Andrew Doyle pointed out, they put the inverted commas in the wrong place. Insane. Well, can Insane. we get the, uh, Craig, can we get the mic if we want to, in case we want to do a few questions? We barely have time. We'll do a few. Let's do a few. Yeah. And, and we were going to quickly read an ad from one of our loyal sponsors. It's a bit weird reading live adverts, but it's Toby's idea. Yeah. And, uh, do you want to quickly read an ad from our loyal sponsors? So, yeah, sponsor? well, this is an ad from one of our most loyal and committed sponsors who's been with us, supporting us from the very beginning, Thor Holt. Uh, and if you listen to the show, you'll have heard, you'll have heard Thor's ad. And um, so I'm, the ad that he's given me to read, um, I'm going to struggle with because it opens with um, a famous quotation from um, uh, Braveheart. So I'm going to now try and do Mel Gibson doing a Scotsman. Um, Run and you'll live at least... Oh, I can't fucking do it. Go on, Nick, you have a go. Go on, you, you, you be better than me. I'll have a quick because it's, it's not even a good accent that he does it. Mel Gibson's like, run and you'll live. <laughs> you know, it's very hard. Run and you'll live at least a while and dying in your beds many years from now. I'm struggling, Toby. Well, I, I think, you know what? If only Thor was here, he could perhaps yeah, do it Thor, for us. Thor, Thor, can you help us out? Are you actually here in the audience? Oh, Thor. Thor. Oh, here he is. That's microphone, microphone. Thor everyone. You need the script. Uh, Toby thinks, is that working okay? That's brilliant. To Toby thinks we're all brought up with this script in Scotland, but we are not. <laughs> and everyone knows uh, the most famous Scotsman is actually Australian. <laughs> run, 
Run and you'll live at least a while and dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Yeah. Woo! And for me, it's about freedom of expression. That's why I've been sponsoring the show since the beginning. It's why I'm involved with... Thank you very much. It's also why I'm involved with, and have been involved with the Free Speech Union. And I would just point out that although this speaks about enemies, I don't see it that way. I've worked with people from Free Speech Union who are left-wing, right-wing, no political party, gay people, trans people, all kinds of people fall foul of this stuff. And that's why, to me, uh, free expression really, really matters, because it matters for absolutely everyone. So thanks for coming out to support the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks to Thor. Thor Holt. Thor Holt. And, uh, and just move that back. I was, and just, can yeah. I just quickly say, and uh, Thor came all the way from Australia for that. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much, Thor. We really appreciate all the ads. Toby, where are you putting that? You're not going to put it back what, where it was? Where was it? It was over oh, here. Oh, sorry, I'll put it back yeah. there. I, I'm you're, just going to, you know, I, I, thought, right, I thought Thor, being Scottish and having submitted this script, would absolutely knock that quote out of the park and lacked a bit of RSC training there. But having had the <laughs> RSC training, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have another go at doing it. I was only pretending to be bad last time. <laughs> Run and you'll live at least a while. <laughs> and dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. (laughs) (laughs) Awful, did you say? I heard you. He's he's had one drink, one drink. (laughs) And that's how he behaves. Unbelievable. One anyway, point. Has anyone, anyone want to ask a question? That's very high, Toby. Anyone want to ask a question quickly? We've got a tiny bit of time. We've, we've overrun, but we've got Pull it down minutes. a bit if you need to, yeah. Ask a question at the end. And, uh, well done. Thank you so much for coming, everyone. Hope it was all right. Uh, now it's over to you guys. And, um, and here we go. Yeah, just queue up. If you want to ask a question, queue up behind this guy, and we'll try and take as many as we can. Yeah. Just a quick question. Uh, what's happened to Jordan Peterson? And when's coming back... On the podcast, and Nick, can you give us an update on the green-haired Ashley St. Clair neighbour of yours? What's, <laughs> what's going on? Um, firstly, yeah, sorry about John Peterson. Uh, he's not been, he's too busy doing an arc and uh, building a cult following uh, and uh, trying to bring his cult in around the world. But maybe he'll come back. Maybe he'll come back. What was the second question? Your neighbour with the uh, green hair. You better Saint give them a bit of context. Because what remember. about it? Am I gonna, what was the question? Can you give though? us an update? You were speaking with her. And, or you yeah, yeah. So there's a green haired woman in my building. Um, we had, she held the door open and I stood there and let her go through because I'm a man. I'm like Braveheart. And, um, and I couldn't understand because she was really attractive but she had green hair. I was all confused because I was like, that means she's a lefty. But then we were debating on the podcast whether that really means she is a lefty or if she's just like a cyberpunk or just from some Eastern European country where they don't really have fashion. I think we concluded that um, uh, all lefty women have green hair, but not all women with green hair are lefties. So. Mm. Yes, that is the algorithm. But, um, and then we got a long email 
from someone who may be here tonight saying um, that we were prejudiced against green-haired women. It was a long... I, I skimmed it. It was pretty long. But it was basically <laughs> saying, hey, I'm green-haired and I'm nice and I'm a fan. So sorry to the green-haired women. Sorry to the female... Especially the co-commentator female pundit green-haired women. Um, they are the best people. Great people. And, uh, but you haven't seen the... the Megan Rapinoe, the ultimate person. Female footballer and she's got green hair. So amazing. You haven't seen the woman again in your building. Haven't seen the woman again in a building, but I'll, I'll keep you updated on how that goes. Yeah, thank you very much. Let's hope she's not a so try, try not to be a sink. Um, thank, you very, thank you very much. Didn't get your name, sorry, but thank you. Chris. Thank you, Chris. Uh, hello, I'm Brian. I'd like to ask you what you're looking forward to most about Christmas Day or Christmas period. Oh, no. Um, Christmas Day is the one day of the year I spend with my family. And uh, I've got it down to just that one day. Um, and I've said I'll see Toby the next day just to sort of avoid seeing my own family. Um, that's how bad it is. Um, but uh, no, I decided to bring a downer. I only get two days off for Christmas anyway, so I don't get much time. I love my family, but I love them from a distance. Like, you know, like, I prefer, it's hard. This has gone down so badly. I love my family, but it's quite hard for me at Christmas. You fall back into the, the old roles of like being the, you know, the younger person in the family. No one takes you seriously. They don't care about your TV career or a million downloads on your podcast. You know, it's all about the kids. It's all about my brother's kids. How many podcasts have they got? You know, how many, my nephew, zero downloads. So I'm like, guys, and I'm so furious that it's not about me for one day. Yeah. I can't even cope. But obviously it's about the birth of Jesus Christ and that's the main part. Uh, so, I I do, so that's the main part. I hope, I... I... Sorry, I was, um, I was asking Toby. Oh, sorry, yeah, no, sorry. Very good, very good. I know how you feel. Um... <laughs> Biggest laugh tonight, what a dick. That's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. It's disgusting. You, you know he's got... I quit. Yeah. That's my last ever one. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I know what I'm looking forward to, which is um, QPR are playing Millwall on Boxing Day, and it's away, so I'm taking my five kids um, across town to see Millwall, and Nick is coming too, so I'm looking forward to spending Boxing Day with Nick. But do you know what? Do you know about I like Millwall because they had that chant, "No one likes us, we don't care," and that's how I feel about us uh, on the podcast and GB News and everything I'm doing. You know, that's yeah, the, that, what, I know your QPR. I'll be Millwall though for the day. Uh, well, yeah, I never, never doubted you were Millwall. But when we last went to um, QPR Millwall away, um, we were caged. I was there with my five kids. I thought, like, you don't need to put me in a cage. I'm not going to be beaten up by a bunch of Millwall fans. Oh, it's not going to pick on me. I'm a dad, so obviously. Much. My five children. They were all under ten. It's like. Let us out of the cage. You know, we're going to be late. And uh, the, guy, the, the, the steward said, no way. And I said, why not? And he pointed to, like, some tattooed thugs a few yards away, prowling around, going like this, pointing at my kids, going... <laughs> I thought, OK, fair enough. We'll stay in the cage. <laughs> stay in the cage. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Brian, was it? Thank you, Brian, Brian thank except you. for that one bit. Good gag. Good gag, Brian. Yeah. I've got a couple of uh, fairly tedious statements that I'm trying to unconvincingly recast as questions. Okay. So. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Pity we're ending on this, but go on. <laughs> so the first one is, um, phrased as a question, why is it that we're debating the quality of female pundits in male sport when it really doesn't matter, the quality? It's male sport, and men want to spend time with men in male sport. Based. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's <laughs> Thank you. And then the this second question. Even more unpopular than me now, but brilliant. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks for that. It's the truth. You haven't had my thoughts on female voting yet. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> just... Goes down really well with the girlfriend. Anyway. Uh, you uh, haven't got then, a girlfriend. Let me guess. It's just a classic sync. Probably not after tonight. Anyway. 
And then my second question is for Toby. I was wondering if you could help me turning into full Team James crazy, lost it completely. And that is, week after week, I hear you debate the logical inconsistencies of the woke thought, and you expose them on your podcast. Uh, I think the most infuriating example recently was about free speech, as if finally the left would see that their arguments were foolish, and now they would have to be in favor of free speech, and they'd see the inconsistency of their argument. I find this... I find it implausible that you can possibly think that this still matters, because truth does not matter to these people. And I was wondering if you can possibly find a way that you can make me believe, firstly, that you're genuine, and secondly, how to retain faith. Shots fired. <laughs> how, yeah. to retain, how to retain faith in, uh, in the politics, because it seems to me that we can't, we can't beat them. We can't beat them with a logical argument, because it doesn't matter. But we don't want to join them, because we certainly don't want to be those people, because, frankly, it's evil. So I was wondering if you could find a way to keep me engaged with political argument without turning into a mad nut conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Well, I think... Um, I think that um, you're right that um, pointing out the logical inconsistencies in the kind of woke worldview where they part company with reality, which is pretty often, um, doesn't, doesn't necessarily... Uh, cut through. It doesn't land with the woke. It doesn't make them think, crikey, maybe I should reconsider my position. Um, but I think it does land with people in the centre, with the kind of floating voters, with people who you have to win over if you're going to win elections. Uh, so I don't think it's entirely pointless, even though it seems, to, it seems to make absolutely no impact. I mean, one of the kind of entertaining things about Trump, I thought, um, was, um, you know, for, for, for a couple of years, kind of anti-woke warriors had been kind of painstakingly pointing out the kind of logical inconsistencies and absence of evidence in kind of various hysterical woke claims, just like people do now about climate change. Uh, and it had made zero impact on the kind of momentum of the woke movement. And along comes Trump and appears to do this kind of crazy monkey dance in front of the woke, you know, instead of actually directly engaging with any of their arguments, just insults them, um, uh, kind of bloviates about fake news, and you think, this isn't going to cut through, but actually, it sent them all completely through a loop, they all broke down, started crying, um, and, uh, and you thought, well, maybe we've been going wrong, maybe this is the way to kind of uh, discombobulate the woke, don't try and engage in kind of logical, reasonable argument, do a kind of crazy monkey dance and insult them. Um, uh, but but I, think, I think up to a point that works, but I think... What, what really seems to work effectively um, uh, is a combination, I think, of reasonable, um, uh, uh, painstaking, logical, evidence-based arguments and satire. I think one of the Achilles heel, heels of the woke is that they've got no sense of humor. I mean, that's why Titania McGrath works so well and is so effective. And a lot of, what, a lot of Trump's success, when you kind of drill down into it, is actually just taking the piss, being funny about woke people. Uh, and that, that seems to be a really effective tool. If you can kind of harness those two tools, I think that is the way to kind of defeat the enemy. Yeah. All right. And, um, and we've got very much at the end. So I mean, let me just answer the other question. Why are we debating uh, women in, what was it, male sport? It's a man's sport, so we shouldn't have women in it anyway, I think it was the gist. It's a good point. You know, women should be, men should be able to have their own spaces, I think. Women should obviously be able to have their own spaces. It's just that we're not trying to get into their spaces because they're rubbish. Um, 
Except a few wrong uns who famously are trying to get into the spaces, and that's a big problem. But let's put you know, the Garrett Club is the last remaining male-only club, and women are now trying to get into that. Leave us alone. That's all I'm saying, guys. Probably shouldn't end on that. But there it is. It's been amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. I just want to thank, thank I just want to, yeah, we've got to thank you both. Thank you very much for coming. We've got to thank. Thank you so much. Um, and for those of you coming to the dinner, it's two floors up. It's the Heliot Steakhouse. We're on the upper deck and we'll be heading up there in about five minutes. Yeah, yes. Heliot Steakhouse in a minute. But for everyone else, I just want to say thank you so much to Car26, not COP26. Thanks to Lois. Thank you to Thor Holt. Thank you to everyone at the venue, Ian, uh, Craig and Simon. And I think, is that it? Do you want to plug anything? I think that's it. I think that's it. But we should end on yes. our... Yes. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I just want to say, of course, is... Until next week, stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Is that it?